0: i think we're live boys what's up what's up man john uh it's good to have you guys here thank you for participating in this um this has been a book i actually read this a while back so this is another episode of the bitcoin book book club we are covering today the law by frederick bastiat written in i believe 1850 uh shortly before his death uh he's french And, uh, you know, I think that's a really, well, what I was gonna say is I think this is a really relevant book today, but obviously it was a very relevant, you know, philosophy and political discourse back then. And I think you could probably make the case throughout most of of history that this, his thought here is relevant, Um, which speaks to a couple of things, not least is how similar our problems and our pitfalls appear to be and how they recur throughout time as we move forward. I want to get into all that, but um, I think two things I don't want to get kicked off with. First, uh, if you guys could just give a brief intro of yourselves so everyone knows who we're dealing with here, and then uh, I'm going to give a little bit of context for this book so that people know the basic premise and the times in which it was uh, written. So, John, why don't we uh, get started with you?
1: Yeah, sounds good. Uh, So, I'm John Silvestro, I'm an active duty Marine officer, um, which gives me some Reading through this uh, kind of gives you some interesting thoughts and inputs on it. Um, uh, I've also uh, started a small fund. So I'm a a small fund manager, uh, mostly Bitcoin. Uh, And basically I'm class of 2017 and similar. Uh, I've read this book before as well. Um, Really the beginning of my Bitcoin days, uh, really before I fully understood the implications of Bitcoin and rereading it uh, recently. I think it's been a really interesting uh, uh, exercise and, it, and it, it looks through a very different lens. So, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it today. Great. Colin?
2: I'm Colin. Most people probably know me better as Heavily Armed Clown. Um, you know, I'm the, the clown on Twitter. Um, I know there's many of us, but I'm the only one that's heavily armed. And then uh, a, lot, a lot of people know my website, WTF Happened in 1971. Um, and like john i we're gonna have to figure out a way to differentiate you two because i just realized you're both named john
1: my call sign is sweat so i'm an aviator you can just call me sweats if you want sweats Sweats. it
2: is yeah uh, you'll have to tell us the story about that name Um, Yeah, maybe maybe (laughs) so i like like john i i've read this book i think it was like four years ago and I had been meeting to reread it lately and it it's fun. Isn't it funny how like the universe sinks or maybe it was just the fact that Breedlove mentioned it and we were all like, oh yeah, Um Rereading this and with the perspective that Bitcoin has given me particularly over the last two years, it's, it's pretty mind blowing. I mean, the, the, like you said, the historical context, like this is going to be a good conversation.
0: All right. So I'm going to try something I haven't done before. Hopefully it works out. But basically, I've picked, I've plucked a few passages from the book all throughout. It's I think it's like, I think there's five different spots. And I'm hoping by reading these, I'm going to give people that haven't read the book a pretty round articulation of the entire book, then a little context. And then we'll just dive into our particular insights and and uh, things that we learned and w- want to discuss with it. So I don't think this should take too long bear with me i'll try to read it uh, relatively quickly. But uh, so the first passage goes like this nothing, therefore, can be more evident than this. The law is the organization of the natural right of lawful Defense, it is the substitution of collective for individual forces for the purpose of acting in the sphere in which they have a right to act. Of doing what they have a right to do to secure person's liberties and properties and to maintain each in its right, so as to cause justice to reign over all. Next section. Uh, that the absence of plunder. This is a principle of justice, peace, order, stability, conciliation, and of good sense, which I shall proclaim with all the force of my lungs, till the day of my death. Legal plunder has two roots. One of them, as we have seen, is in human greed. The other is in the misconce- is in misconceived philanthropy. When a portion of wealth passes out of the hands of him who has acquired it without his consent and without compensation to him who has not created it, whether by force or by artifice, I say that property is violated, that plunder is perpetuated. I declare that I do not mean to impugn the intentions nor the morality of anybody. I am attacking an idea that I believe to be false, a system that appears to me to be unjust, and this is so independent of intentions that each of us profits by that each of us profits by it without wishing it and suffers from it without being aware of the cause. Almost there. The law is justice nothing can be more clear and simple more perfectly defined and bounded or more visible to every eye for justice is a given quantity immutable and unchangeable and which admits of neither increase nor diminution depart from this depart from this point Depart from this point, make the law religious, fraternal, equalizing, industrial, literary, or artistic, and you will be lost in vagueness and uncertainty. You will be upon unknown ground in a forced utopia, or what is worse, in the midst of a multitude of contending utopias, each striving to gain possession of the law and to impose it upon you. For fraternity and philanthropy have no fixed limits as justice has. Where will you stop? Where is the law to stop? One person, Mr. St. Crick, will only extend his philanthropy to some of the industrial classes and will require the law to slight the consumers in favor of the producers. Another, like Mr. Considerant, will take up the cause of the working classes and claim for them by means of the law at a fixed rate, clothing, lodging, food, and everything necessary for the support of life. A third, Mr. Louis Blanc, will say, and with reason, that this would be an incomplete fraternity and that the law ought to provide them with tools of labor and education. A fourth will observe that that such an arrangement will leave room for inequality and that the law ought to introduce into the most remote hamlets, luxury literature and the arts. This is the high road to communism. In other words, legislation will be as it is now the battlefield for everybody's dreams and everybody's covetousness. And finally, I believe that my theory is correct for whatever be the question upon which i am arguing arguing whether it be religious philosophical political or economical whether it affects well-being morality equality right justice progress responsibility property labor exchange capital wages taxes population credit or government at whatever point of the scientific horizon i start from i invariably come to the same thing the solution of the social problem is in liberty boom um, yeah, so I think for people that have not read the book, that gives a little bit of an idea of what the the kind of the primary theme of the book is, and what obviously the author was trying to convey. And the last point for context is that this was written. Do you guys know? I think it was 1850. Yeah, 1850. 1840. Yeah, 1850. So, and I think he died that year, or or uh, very shortly thereafter. So, for just. I'm no no expert in early 19th century France, but basically you had the re- the revolution at the end of the 18th century, you know, the monarchy was disbanded and you had, you know, a lot of different political ideas and philosophy philosophies and ideologies competing. It was a very tumultuous period. Then and and the history of the assignats, the currency that the revolution uh, instituted to fund effectively their government uh, is a very interesting history but long story short it ended in disaster and and hyperinflation and and things of that nature and then you know we had Napoleon and then we had Napoleon go away and we had another form of government And it was just very tumultuous uh, and oftentimes bloody time in the early 18th century um, or late 18th century early 19th century France and so it's interesting to consider that context when we think of a guy who's just looking at all this chaos and looking at all these competing political philosophies and ideologies and seeing all the carnage that it's wreaking, but also knowing that there's an element, there's a, a vein of progress here to try to you know get out of the feudal system that France had been in prior to that and try to ascertain like what is the best approach to the social problem? What is the best approach to governance? And this was uh, what he produced. And, um, you know, I'm inclined to agree with his assessment, uh, but I've been talking for a while now. So I'm gonna hand it over to you guys just for initial thoughts on the book. Uh, John, why don't you go ahead?
1: Yeah, I'll start, um, man. I, so like I said, I was, I somebody, uh, let's see, it was Eric Bosco, um, who runs the Bitcoin. Um, he's also, he's a former Naval Aviator. We met at a conference years ago and I was looking for hey, you know, I'm looking to learn. More. so. You know, For myself, I think uh, personally, I've always had sort of an ethos of libertarianism, which is as long as I'm not hurting anybody else, and as long as they're not hurting me, I don't really care what you do with your time. Uh, I never understood how you could really implement that, that at the state level. Um, and, and Eric <clears throat> sort of was trying to push me on that and, and recommended that I read the law, which I read back in 2017. But it still didn't, it didn't really click for me. Certainly not in the way that I've read it this time. Um, because it, and I, and I think John, you and I talked about this or, or we, we kind of, which is uh, like a lot of things that I learned in college and economics and philosophy always felt like this academic um, exercise rather than something we could actually do, do something about, right? And, and I think in 2017, when I read this I sort of felt similar of like, okay, that's great interesting points, but man will always sort of tend towards this, you know, like water, man is lazy, men will will tend towards this socialist idea or this, uh, what he, you know, he what he defines as plunder. Um, but reading it again with the last four years behind me, uh, you know it's amazing how much getting farther into Bitcoin, but also seeing what has happened in the United States, uh, how we sort of, it does feel like we are tending more towards this uh, acceptance of socialist ideas—things that would have never gotten past the, the starting gate in years past—now are being pushed by senators and representatives and other people that uh, that. And I think, and I think this comes back to um, 2008 and that fundamental shift of watching the elite, big banks, whatever you know, whatever institutions you're talking about, get bailed out for mistakes that they made something that you may have that maybe we thought was impossible before 2008 and before uh, sort of that that came along. And he talks about um, uh, Bastiat talks about in the book this idea that uh, we will legislate plunder because essentially those those that uh, have legislation can plunder legally. Um, and so you, you watch the elites get it, you know, they get bailed out, the banks get bailed out. Well, now it's our turn, right? COVID hits, uh, and now people are looking around and saying, "Well, wh- why not me? Why can't we get bailed out?" And then you see, you know, mortgages being turned off and rent payments being t- turned off uh, because why not? You know, what's we've already seen that we did it for them. Why not me? Uh, and you see this slippery slope just you know speeding up and getting faster and faster and faster and faster. Um, I think uh, what was it, Ilhan Omar, representative? of uh, Elon Omar the other day was on TV saying she wants to get rid of all mortgage payments and rent payments till April of 2022. You know, and when you look at it and you say, how could people think that that's something we could do as a society? Who's going to pay for that? Uh, well, we've already done it. You know, we did it for the banks. Why not? Why not my turn? Um, and I really think that that is a it, it is. It is a fundamental lens that i look at the world differently because of bitcoin uh, that has allowed me to say you know wait a second this you know we, we need to look at this another way um and now we have a tool to do it uh, and, and we'll get into the, the connection with bitcoin later but um i did i did sort of come at this with uh you know it, it's like it's like showing up to a, a, a gunfight before all i had was was my hands but now we have a gun. And so I can understand this through a different lens to say, hey, we we, we can build a new world um, that doesn't require the legal plunder uh, of everybody. You know, Basiat says, uh, you know, he, he says there's there's three there's sort of three COAs, three three courses of action. You know, the few, the plunder, the many. Everybody plunders everybody or nobody plunders anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Those are the, the three categories of, of basic society that we can build. Mm-hmm. And he pushes for, obviously, in this book, the nobody plunders anybody. But before Bitcoin, I, I don't I don't know. Uh, there isn't an obvious way to implement that. Uh, and so I found that reading that part really sort of hit home. I was like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, Basia. You know, come back to life in 2021. We got this new thing. Uh, it might actually be able to implement what you're talking about. So I, I found it really fascinating. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited. I got a bunch of things written down. I don't think I've torn apart a book
0: like this in a long time. So. Uh, yeah, it was fun. Nice, Colin. Initial initial impressions.
2: Um, so I'll say first and foremost, this book it it really speaks to what a logical and concise thinker Bastiat was because I think just about every single sentence in this book, or or you know snippets, several sentences, stand on their own. I mean, you can pull so many quotes out of this book out of context of the rest of the work and they, they just make phenomenal one-liners. I mean, I, and, and I, I actually tweeted something he said just other day um, and, and the book itself sort of gave me a lot of cohesion in in a lot of the ideas that I've been mulling over in the last year or two, um, ideas around morality and society and the, the types of fruit that, uh, you know, what the institution and the uh, legislation, you know, what they sort of coalesce around, and, and the types of fruit that that bears in society, it it inspired me so much. I actually wrote an article about it. I don't know if either of you guys got the chance to read it. I mean, I wouldn't expect so, but um, really, it's it's actually incredible when you go back and look at societies throughout history, you see these patterns emerge over and over and over, uh, exactly in the ways that Bastiat speaks to. Uh, in this book. And and it's amazing that what he was going through, you know, 200 years ago, almost, is the same problem that we're dealing with today. I mean, it's almost uncanny. Has humanity been that incapable of learning from its past mistakes? Um, you know, e- even in early colonial America, we were seeing legislators talk about, well, you know, why should we tax our constituents when we can just load up the money printer and pay for everything however we want? Um it's amazing that these aren't new problems and we're having to learn the same lessons over and over and over again, instead of listening to this wisdom. And that's that's why I say Bastiat's ability to be concise and logical speaks to itself. Each sentence stands on its own. Like he, he doesn't even have, cause it's so first principle than it's thinking. You can't argue with this idea that the law should exist to protect liberty. And you can't argue uh, with the inevitable consequences that always arise in all of these societies that that break that social contract, right? That that deviate from that um, moral guideline. And and this is what I actually talked about in my article was that morality is simply a system of behavior patterns that typifies our behavior to certain inputs and outputs, right? If we do this, we get this. If we do that, we get that. And whenever morality breaks down, you know, and you have this system of legalized plunder, uh, like John was saying, you know, you. You have it's like this this spiral and it spirals out of control. And the next thing you know, you know, the legislature has legalized theft, the institution has moralized theft. And like to expand a little bit on what you said, what he talks about suffrage and how a system of limited plunder is only sustainable under limited suffrage, but as that legalization of theft and that moralization of theft c- continues to proliferate and you move towards unlimited suffrage where there's much more unilateral representation in, in like a democratic society, it inevitably descends into total, total plunder. Because like you said, uh, we look at them and we say, hey, why do they get that? I want that. And it becomes rather than the few stealing from the many, everybody stealing from everybody.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> when I read stuff like this, I, as you were saying, like these, these dynamics, these problems continue to recur. And I know, like this inevitably leads to why Bitcoin is so special, right? Because it fundamentally changes the ways in which we're able to organize and interact. And as a result, structure our our interactions, because of, well, we'll I want to preserve that we'll get into that. But, you know, it reminds me that I suspect throughout the ages, you know, the example I often use is like the two homies that were sitting on the Nile someday, you know, when the, it, when the pyramids were being built. And, you know, like, I'm sure many people were wrapped up in the current zeitgeist as people are now and they were supportive of it. But, you know, there was a cohort of free thinking people that were like, man, what the fuck, why the fuck are we building that shit? You know, why are we spending so many of our resources doing that? And slavery's kind of, you know, slavery doesn't sound like a good idea to me. And but they're like, oh, whatever. What are we gonna change? We're just two dudes sitting on the Nile having figs and you know, looking at crocodiles or whatever. You know, and, and the fact that these free-thinking people throughout the ages could see through the 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 facade and the chaos and the delusion of the current time that they were in to try to dig deep, dig down to something more truthful and maybe more fair and maybe more right and maybe more reasonable and I, I, I feel like Bastiat is another instantiation of that not to toot our own horns but I think Bitcoin is largely that as well I mean we exist in a world right now not dissimilar at all in fact probably I think the current paradigm would horrify Bastiat like as chaotic as his time was I think you could make a case that the intrusion of government and and the the, me- the mechanics or the machine of of global social governance and the structures in place to administrate that are far more uh, you know imposing today than they even were in his time. And so I think you know he would be horrified by this time. But I think we like him are the people that are able to step back from it and say to look at history put it in context and say why why is it we're, do, we're doing it this way and like uh, like you were saying colin like this just degenerates and i one line the one-liner in the book that i love is the competing utopias line like we see that so often now in the political discourse like this faction wants this to happen and this faction wants this to happen and everyone because that thing has become so powerful and influential the, the main drive of everyone to get what they want is to co-opt that thing, to co-op the you know the head of the beast, to co-op the machine. and he talks about that in this rather than people pursuing their own ends, right? like deploying their their label labor, their energies, their intellect to create value, the, the, the most the, the most rational way to get what you want almost, is to instead of doing that, and the pain required to actually deploying your own labor, is actually to just try to co-op the thing that is able to plunder for free, right? And, and that that expands the political discourse of the time. It makes politics all-consuming. It makes it the biggest issue of the land. And what do we have today? I mean, po- politics is everywhere. It's a it's a it's a clown show. I mean, look at the most recent election. I don't care what side of the the aisle you were on, but it's like it's this all consuming thing that's on the TV 24 hours a day. It's the main news topic all the time, because it's 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 ballooned to that that level of influence on our lives. When, you know, what Bastiat would say is that it should just protect our liberties so that people can go forth and do what they want. Um, and so, you know, I think we're we're in a time where this is pot- potentially, it's never been more relevant than now. And, um, you know, that's why I think it's an it's a interesting book for people to become aware of. And for this line of thinking to start permeating into, into the social world, like so many people, and like, you know, here in Canada, it may be worse than most places, just assume that the government's role is to fix all problems, right? If there's a, If there's an issue, the government should step in to fix it. Um, and if there's something that needs to be done, it, you know, need to be built, need to be like, it It all goes back to the government. And that's such a abdication of responsibility first, but I, I think it uh, is destructive ultimately, because as we know, the government, you know, is not a creator of value. It's a, you know, it administers value. It takes it from one place and moves it to another. And, Ultimately, I think it's self-destruct. So um, what do you guys make of this vein through history and how Bitcoin influences this line of thinking? And I I asked a little more context on that question. In the Bitcoin space, we talk about politics a lot. Like, obviously, many of us are critical of the current structure, but it begs the question, what do what does governance look like in a Bitcoin-denominated world? And some people are on the anarcho-capitalist side, and some people think there's going to be some form uh, of governance. What does reading this book and your understanding of Bitcoin, how does that influence your perception uh, of governance, w- what governance will look like in the future? Colin, why don't you take well, that one?
1: One thing I want before, just right before we get, was, um, you know, He brings up a couple times in the book talking about the the relationship between legislators and the governed. Um, He uses, you know, uh, the gardener and his and his trees, I think, is is sort of the example. But he used a couple others, which is like the people are there to be experimented on, right? Which this is written in eighteen fifty, right? So this is pre Darwin, eighteen fifty nine. This is pre Mendel and his peas in eighteen sixty five. This is pre eugenics. and yet he still saw that uh, that that legislators treated people as if they were something to be fixed, right? Like there was something that needed to be that you have this legislator who is this great person or, or a great entity and yet sees the people as generally degenerative and in need of, uh, I think he says formation, um, and we see that over and over and over again throughout history. Uh, and he he mentions, you know, he talks about how you would think we would slowly we'd be getting better over the millennia. But if you look back to Egypt and and the and the slavery and what was done and how people were used, and then into the Roman times and then medieval times and then the rest, and you know through and through time, and then obviously post this book, post his life, you see it again and again and. and uh, and, and he talks about, you know, this idea of stopping plunder, right, like, that's what we need to do as a society, that's what we need to do as governance to stop plunder, which is, um, you know, an interesting thought, but, but if you look at different civilizations and those that have really tried to stop plunder, what it usually means is constant revolution just revolution after revolution after revolution somebody else takes power they try it they make the same mistakes the ones before them did you see another revolution i mean look at you know italy uh since world war ii has 61 different governance governments that's that's a different government every 1.4 years since world war ii uh and that is that is that reach for we just need to stop this plunder and then we'll we'll be good the society will be good but when that new that new group or that new governance comes in, they make the same mistakes because, you know, as he said, all plundered try to somehow enter into making laws. Either they may wish to stop lawful plunder or they may wish to share in it. Right. And so the, uh, and I, and I think, I think my favorite sort of part in the whole book, and I don't know if you guys have, do you have this copy? Is this what you guys are working on? I got this one. Okay. So uh, this is on page 10 in my book, but it's relatively early in the book um he says this fatal desire has its origin in every nature of man which i agree with in that primitive universal and insuppressible instinct that impels him to satisfy his desires with the least possible pain right so we as humans are like water right we're lazy we will find the easiest route to our goals whatever that may be so then in the next chapter or the next paragraph which is property and plunder it says man can live and satisfy his wants only by ceaseless labor this project, process the origin of, of property. But it is also true that man may live and satisfy his wants by seizing and consuming the products of the labor of others. This process is the origin of, of plunder. So those, you're I mean, you know, you're know, you talking about tweets, like you could just take, you could take line by line and be like, oh, here's a great tweet. And people would be like, oh man, that guy's smart. Um, uh, but yeah, those two right there, right? You have the, the process, the origin of property which is ceaseless labor and the process of origin plunder. So, regard you know over a period of time, you're going to move towards plunder because ceaseless labor is exhausting when plunder exists, right? If I can plunder my way to my to what I want to do, you know, it's like do I want to climb over the wall or go around it or go you know or go uh, through the gate, right? I can go through the gate. Why would I ever go over the top? And so, um, so we as 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 people will always move toward well we. We, you know, I think there's there's that I've seen a few tweets about this or, you know, kind of the memes of, you know, uh, hard times create capitalists, capitalists create good times, good times create socialists, socialists create bad times. And so the the thing uh, progresses again. And I think um, Brandon's, uh, Brandon Quidham's, uh fifth turning and, and reading the fourth turning by house, I think is a, something everybody in the Bitcoin space should read. Uh, And you see these again, again, like these generational turns. I mean, it just makes so much sense. But now Bitcoin, to get back to finally get back to my Bitcoin point, Bitcoin, as Brandon says, could be this fifth turning. And in this particular case, I see Bitcoin as being a replacement for ceaseless labor, right? So you now, you you can have Bitcoin be that ceaseless labor that's actually easier in a way than Plunder, And so maybe that's the tool maybe that's the key that we've been looking for is like your, you can store your value in this thing that will continue to get more valuable over time, you don't need to plunder the other people in your society, in order to get ahead. And maybe that's, maybe that's the key maybe that's the tool that somebody like Bastiat and people who have thought this way libertarian thinkers have thought this way, maybe the key to to unlocking this possible future where plunder doesn't need to be the default end state. Those are, those are really good points. that's,
2: that's really profound. Um, I, I think I look at it maybe like kind of in the same way but a little bit differently. Um, I, I think a really good accompanying piece to this is one of Bastiat's other works and it was just a paper and it was called a ne voit pas and all that means is that which is seen and that which is unseen. And in, in this article that I wrote, I tell a little story about a man who's walking down a road and you know it just happens upon a fruit tree and the fruit tree has just tons of delicious looking fruit on it and he says oh wow what what great luck i have you know i can just stop and eat as much fruit as i want and i'll be full and happy and satisfied but what he doesn't see right he sees that fruit and he sees that he can eat it and he can be full and happy and his uh, immediate needs can be satisfied. What he doesn't see is all of the hours of labor and time and capital and knowledge that went into planting and cultivating and growing and producing that fruit. And he doesn't see that he steals all of that time and capital and energy from his neighbor who's planted that tree so that he could eat from the fruit, right? That which is seen and that which is unseen. And really, this is what the biggest problem in economics, at least in modern academic economic theory, is that there's a whole lot of focusing on what is seen, uh, and very, very little focusing on which is unseen. And, and this uh, distills down, you know, to the lowest level. And that's why I think that's a great example, because it shows a high level concept at its lowest level, right, that guy walking down the road all he knows is that his stomach is growling and he wants to eat fruit off that fruit tree. Um, and it's easy for him to do it, right? He can just reach out and take that. And there's no immediate consequence for him. There might be none at all other than second order. You know, now the, the fruit farmer goes out of business and has to close down his farm. And the guy goes to the market to buy fruit and he has to buy expensive imported fruit instead of what his neighbor would have sold him for you know, pennies. You know, um, Those are consequences that that man could not have possibly known. So when I say I look at it a little bit differently, Um, I I see Bitcoin as a technology, and I think a lot of times we get almost too hung up on talking about number go up, and don't get me wrong, I love number go up, Uh, but really what a lot of technologies have marked significant shifts in history is when they make plunder less profitable, right? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, humans are always going to act in order with their incentives, right? And we know that, that the natural order has consequences, and we know that like i said morality ties us to certain systems of behavior that that are mutually profitable for everybody uh, but we have this pesky problem that it's easier to just steal what you want right even though that might make society less profitable less wealthy as a whole it's going to make you a lot better off right because you're going to solve all of your problems right away without having to you know sweat in the field so a great example of this is just like a wall right what does a wall do What makes theft less profitable because now you have to send your roving band of barbarians up and over that wall and they might get all shot up with arrows on the way, right? And if there was no wall, it's a lot easier to just waltz right in and take what you want. Bitcoin is just a wall, right? It's a wall that makes plunder, direct theft of the person's time um, a lot less profitable. And I think that such a, when, when you look at it that way and you you think about it in the sense that we, we may never get to the point where um, everybody agrees with us where everybody sits down and takes the time to read Bastiat and we all sort of had this collective kumbaya where we're like oh wow it would just be better if people kept what they had and we didn't try to steal it what bitcoin really does is make theft unprofitable
0: yeah and this ties in very nicely to I think the first book we covered in this book club, which was, is the Sovereign Individual, which is basically exactly what you just described, which is how the evolution of technology changes the quote-unquote logic of violence, and it, 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 you know, in many instances, it changes <clears throat> the payoff to plunder, let's say, or the payoff to violence, and as you said, I mean that. W- I think it's always a case of quote-unquote intellectuals that that kind of explicitly explore these topics that's the far minority what the world ends up being and what the social structure ends up being is people simply playing to their incentives right and the point the point about pain is is a good one like and it's not bad in itself like we will always seek the the, the, the shortcut the shortest route to whatever our objective is and so it's almost natural that if you provide a mechanism for circumventing the necessity of pain to get what you want, i.e. a method of, of plunder, then people are probably gonna take it. And you, you raise a great point, which, the because the, the morality piece and an individual acting, you know, for themselves, I think oftentimes, and the reason why we see more or less, uh, you know, uh, we don't see this same behavior of the state reflected in the, in the individual for this reason, I think. We know, or I know that if I rob you, you know, if we're neighbors or whatever, and I rob you, then our relationship is not going to go well, right? You're not gonna trust me in the future. I break the link between all the other interactions we may have in the future, opportunities for cooperation that that can serve me or can serve both of us, right? So it's not a logical thing to, to do for me to burn that bridge with you to steal from you in some way. Coinciding with that, there is some involvement of morality. Now, I'm receptive to the case that morality is far less important to people than some people might like to think, you know, whether it's the religious community or or otherwise, and that we actually far more play to our incentives and our and our impulses and our drives. Like, that's an interesting conversation to have. But let's just assume morality plays some role in keeping our behavior in check, quote unquote. And I think that one of the issues and the one of the reasons why the state apparatus is so appealing, you know, so addictive, is because it's sanctioned plunder, right? It removes the social and moral consequences from the individual of those two behaviors, right? And so it it acts in a supra-social and supra-moral situation where, you know, talking about burning that bridge with your neighbor or keeping you a moral check, both both of those considerations are removed because it's it's sanctioned and 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 as you said colin maybe in large part because it focuses on the seen and and not the unseen right so it's more easy for it to receive social sanction perhaps but i think and this leads to one of the points he makes in his book which you know he says a good test of law of, of of the justness or the justice of law is can the state do something legally that would be a crime for the individual you know and and the, you know i think i don't know if that will apply across the board at all times because maybe there has to be some distinction but i think it's a good starting place and man if you apply that to our world today it, the the re- response it returns is is not a good one right the state is capable of doing getting away with and pr- protect, participating in certain activities almost with complete impunity and anything that they really choose to do and as we can see you know, almost all the time in the news media is that, you know, people are increasingly restricted from, from doing things that, that they might do. So there's a, a huge asymmetry between what both entities are permitted in doing. And so, um, but yeah, I think that the fact that the the plunder is is sanctioned removes the, the moral and social quandary of each individual. And it, that is too appealing not to try to co-opt. And I think that's the story of history a, a, a constant attempt to co-opt that a degradation as a result of doing so and then the next group comes swoops in and says we'll do it better this time you know and and you know our ideology our ideology is better and i think the us is a great example of this i mean like as far as paper promises and paper rules are concerned man it was brilliant you know the 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 founding fathers and what 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 they put in place like i imagine a lot of thought and and understanding of history went into that but at the end of the day it didn't change the nature of people or that you know it wasn't a technology it was an ideology and maybe it worked for a time but as we can see it, it 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 degrades over time and i agree that bitcoin is one of those unique things that that changes the 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 logic of plunder let's say where before um You know, violence could could rule the day, you could take things from people if you needed them, that was the easiest way to come by them. And now at least in the realm of money, you know, the the highest concentrated form of value that can be removed from a realm that can be plundered upon. And how will we see society and culture shift, even subconsciously, because like I said, I mean, most people aren't going to come at this from a conscious perspective. How will we see that Change the dynamic of social interaction and social governance. That's the interesting thing that I'm, you know, looking forward to seeing how it plays out.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think you 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 know you look at America as this this great American experiment. You know, we we hold the founding fathers in great regard for a reason. You know, here we are, almost 250 years later, and we're we still have essentially the same foundational governance, which is remarkable in the world. I mean, in history, we you know we have a lot of other benefits like. You know, two, uh, two giant oceans between us and any real enemy that we have. Um, but and even and even Bastiat talks about in the book. You know, he says America is this incredible nation that has been set up, uh, and and they've they've been thought through. And yet, they had a civil war. They're on the brink of civil war, right? Because well, civil war is about to happen just a little bit after this book. This book occurs. And it's on two things, in slavery and terrorists. So even in, a, in, a, in Bat-Siat's example of this nation that he holds in this high regard and high esteem, there's still, it only took two uh, two little problems, right? Little problems, um, which are terrorists and slavery and you end up with a civil war. Um, and so it seems almost impossible to create a perfect union, right? We create a more perfect union, but to create an actually perfect Union in which you can seek liberty and happiness uh, eventually will be corrupted, and and here we are, 250 years later, and you know America is still this this relatively um, powerful idea in the world, and and I've been you know all over the world, and I've you know I've, I've met people in different countries, and I've seen what real oppression looks like, um, and so don't get me you know don't get me wrong, I think that America is still uh, holds itself up well, but with that comes um, a lot of questions about what the future kind of looks like. And, and, and we, t- we talked a little bit about Bitcoin as a tool for governance. But I, I, I also want to talk about the community of Bitcoin and and, uh, and what it the fundamental thing about Bitcoiners uh, that I that I hope that as more people adopt Bitcoin, you know, we're, we're seeing and I think it, it takes some time, obviously. Um, but there is a fundamental questioning of everything. That Bitcoin allows you to start to go down, right? We've talked about the rabbit hole and the widening of the rabbit hole, and how it's sort of this ceaseless, never-ending thing. I mean, here I am, highlighting and, and underlining Bastiat uh, after work on uh, <laughs> during my during my week. Something I would I would have never gone this deep if it wasn't for Bitcoin, because it you start to question the money, then you start to question the governance, then you start to question everything else, and and Bastiat talks about constantly in this book the power of the legislator and then the power of the state and the education that kind of all becomes all-encompassing you know we talk about how politics become all-encompassing well politics is eventually controls the narrative and the narratives control education and then the education controls us right so in the us we all grew up with the you know i think that the, the thing that i that i use a lot when i'm talking to pe- people and and talking about why i started why i question things and and something that relates to every uh, you know, public education, American public kid who went through public education, including myself, is the, is the food pyramid, right? Like, we were taught this horrible, toxic food pyramid for our entire childhood, uh, you know, 14 servings of grain, of, of, of uh, carbohydrates a day, and, you know, you got to have an amount of sugar, and I think people, you know, people who are open-minded enough, and are looking at that, they, they look at, here is the USDA the, food and the, the or the, the Food and Drug Administration of the United States is telling you this is what you should eat and look what it's done to Americans. I mean, you, and, and now people are starting to look at, you know, especially the Bitcoin space. You see people are looking at carnivore diets. People are keto. Uh, they're questioning that. And it starts with those kinds of things. OK, so if the government was essentially lying to me or misinforming me, whether they were doing it on purpose or whether they thought it was the right thing or not. They were wrong and they were misinforming about this what else were they misinforming me about uh and i think right now you're seeing two things economically speaking that are becoming uh dangerously accepted and i'd say one is 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 this idea of a wealth tax in the united states and the other is this mmt uh idea right and and it you hear people talk about it uh, you hear and you see it, you know. You see it on podcasts. You see it on uh, on the television. You see it in news articles of this idea that inflation is not a real thing, uh, even though we continue to print money. Look, inflation numbers are the same. Obviously, we can keep printing money forever, uh, and and we can solve all our problems with that. So why wouldn't we do that? So we we not only are we going down this slippery slope, we are attaching a rocket to the back of it and going down as fast as we possibly can. Uh, and to what I what, what history will tell us is an inevitable, uh, outcome and it's being accepted and fed to us as if there is no other option. And that's because of the power of the state and the power of education. Um, you know, Bitcoiners are attempting to make unlawful plunder impossible. Uh, not just wanting to stop it, but making it physically impossible. You know, the Occupy wall street guys, they put up signs and they sat down in lower Manhattan, Satoshi wrote code. I think that 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 powerful idea is that Satoshi's, you know, an anonymous uh, internet currency is going to give more power to people than uh, than anything that has been protested or attempted through legislation or otherwise. And the more people we get on board the more people start to think differently. And I think that's, at least for me, that's been, you know, that's what I'm most thankful for. You know, the number go up is great. the You know, the sick gains are great, but the the difference in the way that I think about the world and the difference in the way that I think what is possible for the world, I think is the most powerful thing for me with Bitcoin. And I am hopeful, you know, and, I, and I've heard you kind of talk about this before, John, which is that, you know, that that sense of nihilism that I had for most of my life of sort of we are moving towards this inevitable future, there's nothing I can do about it. And there really is no hope for us to change that path. But we but I have hope now I have optimism for a future that can be different that can be uh, that can move us away from this idea of plunder. And I think a lot of Bitcoiners had this underlying sense of whether it was ennui or just distrust um that led you to it in the first place and now we are starting to be able to explain it better and and i love the content around it I, you know i think colin's website of you know i can't tell you how many people i have sent to wtf happened in 1971. I, I, you know it's it is look at this you know j- all i get is just just look just look and you know i, I have arguments with a friend of mine who's a phd um uh economics professor and he can't see it, right? He has these blinders. He, he he. When I show him, when I show him your website, Colin, or I show him, okay, you don't think inflation exists. Let's look at asset prices. Let's look at housing prices. Let's look at healthcare. Let's look at the things that really matter. What you really spend your money on. And he, you know, he says, oh, well, you're cherry picking, or you're, you know, he comes up with something. He just can't see through it. Uh, and and it, and it can't be that, you know, me, who's a, I'm a, you know, I'm a. a Marine Corps pilot, like you know, how could I know more about this, or or how could I have an insight? Not know more. I shouldn't say I know more than him about economics, but how could I have an insight that he wouldn't be able to to grasp or understand? And uh, and I think he's my white whale, right? He's the guy that I want. you know he, If I can get him to Bitcoin, then I've I've done my work, and then he can pass it on to his students, and then we have a whole generation of Bitcoiners be growing up. Um, but yeah, so, I, know your place, Marine. But, but I, I do think, John, I think you're doing an incredible service. And I have shown people a lot of that, that website. And then it gets passed around again and again and again. I do want to come back to Nixon uh, later because I had something else to add about that. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think the community, although Bitcoin doesn't need us, I think that the community that Bitcoin is creating uh, is starting to be one of its most powerful things for, for global change. And, and, I, and I know because I've seen it, the more people that adopt Bitcoin, the more they change, they become more optimistic, more spiritual, more thought provoked, more open-minded, whatever it is. I've seen it in myself and I've seen it in the people around me. Um, and that's that's what I have the most hope for in terms of what Bitcoin can do.
2: So some of the things you said there, um, I think are really important to, to pick apart. Like I myself have found a lot of value in going back uh, particularly through early American history and trying to focus on the parts that in my formal education were brushed over or swept under the rug. Um, and and the reason that I say that is because, you know, I, I, I love this country. I, I grew up in America. I grew up in, you know, in the sticks, you know, running around outside and killing squirrels and cooking them over fires and stuff like that. And, and I love the American, the America is very, um, like, what's the word? It's very romantic. Like, there's a lot of, like, I, I love the thinkers like Thomas Jefferson. You know, Thomas Jefferson was a phenomenal thinker. And it's worth everybody's time to go back and read, like, some of his his works of writing and and his letters. I mean, he he was incredible. He was incredibly intelligent. Thomas Jefferson would have been a Bitcoiner. I guarantee you that. Um, and yet, you know, we, we go back and look at some of the early political events in early America and, and the early political parties, right? The democratic Republicans and the federalists look at the whiskey rebellion, the tariffs of abomination, uh, the Barbary coast wars, the quasi wars, um, the war of 1812, like all of these were complicated problems for a government, um, that, that by design was, limited in terms of the authority that it granted to the federal government. And, and there was a lot of like political power struggle over that in the early days of America. But something like the whiskey rebellion is a great example of how uh, America thrived, just because it was able to protect its system of limited plunder for a very, very long time. Um, and yeah, and I, I, it's, it's hard To come to grips with that as an American who loves the idea of of liberty and freedom and you know stars and stripes and all those things and um, i've wrestled with it for years, but if you really go back and study the history you'll you'll see that all of these. um, Political struggles and like you said, like even the civil war, you know that was fought over tariffs so that's why South Carolina seceded from the Union is because of the moral tariff act. Um, And. Really, all it was, that was what sparked the revolution, right? It was the tea tax. And, and the tea tax was a heck of a lot less obtrusive than the taxes on whiskey during the Whiskey Rebellion. Um, but, but America was able to prosper for so long because they created this system uh, that was that was system of governance that was resilient and resistant to change uh, and limited the power of you know, the central authority to balloon out of control and grant everyone universal suffrage and and just allow the system of total plunder, because there there had to be some plunder. Like, if you don't believe that early America needed some plunder, go and read about the Barbary Coast Wars, right? America couldn't send its trade ships over to Europe, they kept getting captured by these Barbary and, and Tripoli and Moroccan pirates, who would take the sailors and turn them into slaves and just take the cargo and keep it. Um, So how is this new fledgling young nation that just got through a war and has all this debt going to make its way in the world if it can't trade, you know, where with where all the money is, Uh, they had to build a Navy, right, because they had to solve this problem of defense. Uh, The same problem happened with the quasi wars, the, the Jefferson and Madison dissolved the central banks, because they knew the problems that came with central banking. And then, uh, actually, it was it was Madison, I believe, who was president during the Quasi Wars. Jefferson had dissolved the central bank before he came in, and Madison couldn't fund the war efforts that he needed to to fight. Um, man, I, I might be mixing up my timelines here. It might have been the War of eighteen twelve. I don't. I I, I don't know. I don't remember. I, I did a podcast on this a while back, but it's, it's been a while, so I haven't refreshed my memory on the specific details. But Jefferson dissolved the central bank, and then Madison comes in and says, wow, that was great. I'm glad we did that. And then he finds himself in this war um, where the state militias were supposed to be the ones that were protecting the Union. right? For, like, They're supposed to say, hey, New York's getting invaded. Well, let's send our troops up there to help. Um, but... Madison quickly found himself in a position where that couldn't really be coordinated because of the way that the government was set up and he needed a a centralized federal fighting force in order to be able to participate in this war and actually protect uh, the sovereignty of the Union. So he had to reinstitute a new central bank so that he could borrow money to pay for this operation. Jefferson went through the same thing in the Barbary Coast Wars, um, having to pay for the Navy. And you, you run into this problem over and over and over where as time goes on, more and more reasons just seem to keep coming up. And then, you know, you have World War I, and I'm sure you guys know about like the Lusitania, and then World War II, and then we end. that ends with Bretton Woods. And it's sort of like just this ever-ballooning, creeping tendril of expansion of the system of plunder. Uh, and then that was why America lasted for so long, was because it was able to limit that and and now we're sort of seeing the reins on the limit of that blunder just come off, and and we're watching the consequences of that happen around us in real time. I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, Vietnam War. I mean, nineteen seventy one, right? That's that's why we came off. That's why Nixon did what he did. That's why your website exists. Is is the over the overextending of the American pocketbook to fund the Vietnam War, and now we are in what the 20th year of our current conflict 20 years i mean how are we how are we paying for that um and you know and i'm 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 part of that right i'm i'm, I'm part of um the military industrial complex and the longer we go and you know you think about how expensive war is now right uh, i think at one point the height of the, the conflict in afghanistan we were spending 40 billion dollars a year on air conditioning yeah you know, and and so it, you know, and 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 did that coincide with 2008? You know, did it, did it? Was it 2008 that was caused by that? Or you know, and these these sort of things get lost because we've been in this constant conflict now for so long that the cost of it becomes less and less clear, and the and the the uh, plunder of our monetary system uh, gets hidden in these layers of like, oh well, we also had this financial crisis. So like, that's really what, what was it? Well, wait, was it the financial crisis or was it our overextension for violence? And so there is a, there is a, there is a place for national defense. Um, But I think that has been perverted so many times over the course of, of a nation. And, and in some cases, a lot of cases, it leads to the ending uh, of that nation, or at least the ending of that form of government for that nation.
0: I'd I'd like to discuss, the problem of national defense or the problem of erecting that system of force even if it's just there to preserve liberty but just before we move on to that you know we talk about plunder a lot and the use of of force and organized violence to exact plunder and you know that's the quickest road to get what you want And so everyone ends up fighting for the ability to do that but of course i mean money is the ultimate form of plunder like the, the sorry, the ability to create money is the ultimate form of plunder, especially if you can do it at zero cost, right The greater the seniorage, the greater the plunder. And this has always been what everyone's been attempting to control. So like you're saying, like yes, of course push comes to shove whether it's a civil war, an external war, a, a crisis in, internally, if you have that money printer in the basement, if you have that power to create money that everyone, that you can then force everyone else to use, you're, it's going to be used and it's going to be used detrimentally. And, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, the experience of the assignats in, I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation, but, um, in France during the revolution, and I believe they were instituted in 1789, and I think they lasted till 1795, someone could correct me on that, but. It's a nice little uh, microcosm of of how this all works. So, the revolutionary government confiscated all the land from the clergy, right from the church, which was, was which was an incredibly rich institution in France and had you know a ton of wealth and a ton of land. They then issued these assignats based off the land, right? So the 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 land was backing up the assignats on a on a whatever ratio, right? Um, and then they impose self-imposed a limit on how many they would create now the revolutionary government bumped that up a couple times anyways instead of instead of a one-to-one it's a one-to-two or one to three right as you know because push comes to shove if you have that power you're going to use it but what's interesting is that this is always a double-edged sword for governments right so you it, you know the, the lord of the rings uh, wow. analogy is so apt right like the ring of power right the money printer it, it will it can give you so much power. It allow you to do so many things, but it also sows the seeds of your own destruction because you will not use it properly or or maybe said even better, if you decide to use it, you've already ensured your destruction because using it, you know, just by virtue Mm -hmm. of using it. And in the case of the nets in the revolutionary government, um, ultimately what its downfall was, was not just that they were making more of them, like intentionally but the nobility and the clergy that had left France during the revolution started counterfeiting it themselves and flooding the market with it so that it continued to be debased until it was worthless right so when you play that game of 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 trying to create value out of thin air and presuming to have the power to do so maybe you're you're able to leverage that power for a time but it's also going to Ultimately destroy you, and that power will ultimately self-destruct. And I, you know, I, I don't think it's a, a stretch to say that that's what we're encountering today. You know, I think we're in the le- later innings of the egregious abuse uh, and the forced, you know, uh, use of this type of money that that we use all around the world today. Um, it's lost a tremendous amount of its value. It's led to a lot of um, Tragic consequences that I think individuals would not have decided um, to embark on by their own volition, or if they had the choice, but because they did not have the choice, and that enormous power was granted to a very small group of people with their own set of interests. You know, history is what it was. So, and that's been largely the story of history. You know, that one that the money has been co-opted in some way, shape, or form, and then the 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 money that People were forced to use, or the money that a, a certain group of people or nation used for a period of time, went a long way to dictating not only the institutions that were erected around it to administer it or enforce it, et cetera, but the actual outcomes of history uh, as a result of that huge imbalance of power being abused. And um, you know, I, I I think that's where we are today. And um, like both of you, I, I think. Bitcoin is a huge tool to counteract that and start turning the tide but it begs a question for me I'd love to get your input on this and and John you were saying you know how coming into this space you know now in your free time you're you're reading you know books from old french philosophers and stuff like that and I think we can all relate to that and it's 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 awesome and I find it so intellectually stimulating and satisfying but is there like if you're bastiat right and no uh, kind of understanding how these things unfold as, as we've been discussing is there a point at explicitly articulating uh philosophies of this kind you know like better methods of, of governance or or ideologies or whatever or is the best approach just to focus on the technologies at hand that can preserve liberty to the utmost extent like is it is it is it a both thing or are people just wasting their breath and their time by articulating things that can't can't realistically exist um in the technological paradigm in which they exist Con you i, I mean I've,
1: I've got some thoughts con you want to you want to take that or
2: um i i don't know that that's i what you were just saying john right before that is kind of reminding me of um I, I've recently read through the, the Tao of Capital like two or three times. I don't know if either of you have ever read that book by Mark, Mark Spitznagel, uh, but he talks a lot about uh, Taoism and Laoism and like the writings of Sun Wu and this concept called sure John, you might be familiar with some of these things with all the time you spent in China. I don't know. And, or actually, uh, other John, you might also be familiar <laughs> with some of these things, being a Marine Corps officer. Um, you know in this concept of like sure and lee um and and sure being like this this sort of roundabout strategy of arriving at a at a particular end um and and mark spitznagel mark spitznagel uses the example of um conifer conifers and the way that they spread their seeds throughout forests and in start in the less ideal locations and in the more rocky areas uh, and bide their time and wait for when everything else gets wiped out during like a fire or something like that. And then they just take over. Um, and, and I know this is, this is sort of esoteric, but it, it I don't know, you, you look at these systems where they have this immediate problem and they say, well, we got to print the money. Um, it, it really sort of defies that, that Taoist or, you know, Laoist logic of the roundabout strategy that like sort of wait for a good opportunity to maneuver um i i you know it's not like human beings are incapable of understanding these these principles you know and it's not like there aren't examples in history of extremely incredible thinkers who rise to the top and make societies um extremely successful or extremely profitable despite the fact that they might be dictatorships i mean i mean look at napoleon right i mean he was a tyrant but He, or Alexander the Great, like he was a tyrant, but he rose to the top and quite literally conquered the world. Um, I know that doesn't really answer your question, but that's sort of what I'm thinking about at the moment.
1: Um, So you know, in terms of, in terms of, is it important? um, I think it's remarkable, right? Like reading this book, I think is remarkable because it's like standing in front of a tsunami you know is coming. And, and thinking that it's important for you to scream at the tsunami as it, as it you know, wipes out your town, right? Uh, whereas now, like, like I said, you know, reading this four years ago, I was like, cool, I, you know, I, that's interesting. You know, I, I wish we could live in that world. I wish we could stop plunder. I wish, I wish, I wish. Uh, now it feels like you have, you know, I think people use, you know, people use the term arc all the time in, in Bitcoin. It's like there's this, the flood is coming. Uh, this monetary flood is here, it's coming, it's been in the works for a really long time. And uh, we have this, now we have a tool, we have an arc, we, we can float over this tsunami that is, that is gonna wipe out our town. Um, and so I find, it, I, I, I find it remarkable that this education, that this, these thoughts were happening in the face of certainty, essentially, right? Like socialism clearly won in, in France, um, and it is one as it is one in a lot of places. Um, and yet there were people like Bastiat and there were people thinking this way and and articulating it. Um, so do I think it's important? Uh, yes. Do I think it's even more important now? Yeah. So like, you know, in, in today's parlance, in, in our example, it would be as if the white paper came out and, uh, and then nothing else, right? And then no other information. Satoshi didn't answer any emails. You don't have the Nakamoto Institute, you don't have, uh, the YouTubers and the books and, you know, my coffee table is literally covered one, two, three, four, five, five Bitcoin books right now. Right. I'm just, I'm just finishing layered money. I've got thank God for Bitcoin, 21 lessons, crypto economics, you know, news van homes. I got this t-shirt on like without that stuff, um, without that, without that, uh, without that community, without that education, uh. I think the fact the tool exists now has opened up a whole new world of philosophers and thinkers that are going back and looking at this stuff. And so while, uh, I am glad that Bastia wrote this and I'm, and I'm so impressed that he was thinking in this way, you know, like you said, almost 200 years ago, um, the fact that you can, it's so much more convincing now, right? The fact that I can say, Hey, here are all these thoughts. have been that have been thought and pondered and and philosophized over the years and we also and by the way here's this thing that can help us really implement it it's so powerful uh you know i think in the i i i I highlighted a little section here um that i wanted to read real quick if i can i had it Uh, so he's talking about he says they assume that if the legislators left per so so this was sort of, to tell a relatively personal story, I was, you know, I think there's this feeling, um, especially for me when I was younger, this feeling that like, if only, you know, the right people could get in charge, we could solve all these problems, right? If only my party or my group or my ideals or my ideologies could be implemented, we could solve it, right? And 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 I think the Lord of the Rings is a perfect example, right? Like. If only we could hold the ring, then we could, you know, we had the printer, we could implement, you know, I think Andrew Yang's UBI was a was a really big people really grasped onto that idea of like, yeah, that seems like and and it's it's enticing that, like, okay, yeah, if Andrew Yang was president, we have UBI and all our problems would be solved. It's such a dangerous thought, right? This, this, it's it's such a it's such a intoxicating belief and such an intoxicating thought it's impossible to get away from this idea that like you know oh man Obama is gonna change the world or Trump is gonna change the world or uh you know it, 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 this is a very American centric but I think that, that that definitely plays of like okay yeah we got our guy here we go everything's gonna be great now and then you fast forward four years or eight years or 16 years or whatever and you're like man not much really changed nothing really happened, even though our guy won. What, you know, I think that for me, that was a wake up call of like, okay. Uh, and I I came from a liberal background and, and I was a diehard Democrat and I was a big Obama supporter and he gets in office, he's got the house, he's got the Senate and what happens? Not much, right? Not much really changes, more of the status quo. You know, we get more of the same, we get, uh, you know and this is before I really understood the, the importance of the money printer. Um, but you, you keep getting these same consequences. And then Trump comes in, which is like the total antithetical, at least in in general, you know, the the, the top of the of the mind. And and again, nothing really changes. You know, there's there's the the level of rhetoric goes up, maybe, um, and the discourse goes down, uh, but it it didn't seem to really change anything. And 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 so this this passage that I highlighted, he says, they assume that the legislators left persons. Free to follow their own inclinations, they would arrive at atheism instead of religion, ignorance instead of knowledge, poverty instead of production exchange. So the legislators are here to bring us to the promised land, right? And, and to me, and I wrote this down, I wrote, Bitcoiners are antithetical proof of this conceit. BTCers are curious, spiritual, productive, and enlightened. And, and I am all four of those. Things. I am Sorry, I am more of all four of those things than I ever have been. Right? I am, I am curious in a way that I've never been before. Um, I am spiritual in a way that I've never been before. I mean, I am a, I am a nihilist atheist for most of my life, or really agnostic towards religion and, and belief in that. And uh, and I'm not that way anymore. Um, I'm more productive. Uh, you know, and and Bitcoin has, I I I have stopped the. I don't drink alcohol anymore, right? And 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 people ask me, oh, did you? You know, they assume I had a problem with alcohol or something. And really, what it comes down to is like I want to be sharp because I want to learn, right? I want to I want to learn and I want to know and I want to and there's so much to know and there's so much out there. Um, and and that brings me to another point in the book, this great line, kind of at the end, uh, which he says. um oh, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm gonna have i may have to take a minute and find it but he he talks about the the lack of of men being able to be men or man being able to be man right it, the, the the power of the state takes away the point of being curious of being intellectual uh which I felt you know I, I went to a good school a college and I always felt this underlying of like what's the point right why be you know the the, the game is fixed the game is rigged why be curious? Why be intellectual? Uh, why why study these things? Why chase this wealth? What's the point? And Bitcoin has given me a focus to say, oh, there is a point. There's a point to be educated. There's a point to be informed. Uh, you can save yourself. You can better your position. You can help your family. You can help those around you. Uh, you can be a power for good in the world. Uh, things are not so dark and bleak and uh, you know, I think that has been really profound on a personal level. And again, I see it across the board. And I know, John, I know you've talked about it. Um, I, you know, I've listened to a few of your podcasts about it. Um, Colin, I can sense that you feel, you know, sort of similar uh, feelings. And maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe all these Bitcoiners have felt this way their whole lives. But for me, it has been a remarkable shift in my general perspective uh, on the world. Well, if, I, if I can
2: just jump in real quick, I think, what Bitcoin does that's so powerful for a lot of people is help convince them that the state is not their God. Um the institution all throughout history. Like go back and look at the church, right? When the church was in charge, it wasn't a, it wasn't about God or like the idea of God so much as it was about the institution was God, right? The 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 all ultimate sovereign. Um and, and in our society today, the institution is. The ultimate sovereign, right? Trust the science. Trust the legislators. They they have your best interest at heart. And I think that that is a very powerful delusion and it's very difficult to disrupt. Um and and bitcoin is just sort of a peak behind the curtain because it's like hey, the institution hates bitcoin, but it keeps going up and everyone's getting stupid rich and you're not. Um what's up with that? And and it's <laughs> it's so small and it's so powerful. Kind of like, you know, that website that I made that it's just like, it's, it's just so simple. And you look at it and you're like, huh,
0: don't overthink it.
2: Why is, why are things like this? Like, could they be wrong? Um, maybe, I don't know. And, and, you know, I, I know, you know, I, I can't speak to you guys and, um, I know plenty of Bitcoiners don't believe in God and, um, You know, I'm perfectly fine with having conversations with people that I disagree with, but I do. And I I think that there's a natural order. And I think that the natural order, when it's defied, I think that there's consequences. And we have a tendency to defy that natural order. Um, And it always has
0: consequences. And we're just, like you said, reaping what we've sown. Yeah, I I think, you know, to go back to the question about like, excuse me, is there a point like in articulating these things explicitly? if If we're always kind of subject to power dynamics and the nature and, and and state of technology. And after listening to both of you speak, and you know because you have you you can be somewhat cynical about it, but I think that the exploration of of thought in order to try to find truth, right? And maybe we'll never find truth capital T. But like to try to refine the clarity of our perception, that we engage reality with, I think, is useful for probably many reasons. But in the context of this discussion, is because I, I think it can ignite or inspire you to seek solutions that that make that more real. So, if it, like, so, you know, if nobody ever talked about, if Bastia never read wrote this, cause he's like, well, what what the fuck's the difference? Like, shit's gonna happen the way it's gonna happen. I have no power here. The momentum of history is is what it is what's the point um but i think that people who are trying to see with clarity articulating what they're seeing and how they're looking at it has that propensity and has the possibility of igniting something in someone that says you know what that's right and i want to try to bring that further into reality and you know who knows what satoshi's motivations were but we know some of them from his writings and you know even what he he put, put in the Genesis block, that he understood that there was a problem here and it, on ideological, political, economic, all sorts of grounds. And he decided, and he was sufficiently inspired to des- design a solution. So I think that's, you know, as cynical as we might sometimes be able to be by just throwing up our hands and saying, you know, there's a momentum to history, how can we stop it? But I think even conversations like this, I mean, you could say, <clears throat> what's the point of having these conversations, but I think the fact that they can help people clarify their thinking, and that can ignite or inspire them to either pursue that and continue refining it, or to look towards solutions to bringing what they believe to be true and right and useful and good into the real world, as it were into their lives and actually leverage that to establish more freedom, more liberty, more prosperity, more peace. I mean, I think that's kind of the the point of having those moral or religious or ideological or ph- philosophical discussions to kind of determine what you're, you're orienting, you know, what 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 what's going to orient you in terms of what inspirations are going to pull you forward? How are you going to devote your energy and your attention and your focus? What are you going to try to create with the energy at your disposal or the resources at your disposal? And I think that's why these higher level conversations about <clears throat> you know, religion and God and, and spirituality are important because ultimately those are some of the things that pull us forward the most and, di- most and dictate what we're going to try to create in this world and make of this world. Um, but, you know, another point that was brought up was just how, first of all, I don't think people, I mean, I don't think people realize just how, like when you read this book and you're like, the government should be the organization of collective force in order to you know uh preserve liberty of the individual how far have we departed from that like just look at what the government does today all the different tax taxes there are all the different departments and education and you know like it's it's in every part of our life and as colin as you said and there there is a great parallel here to the you know the middle ages and the the institution of the church is that 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 really has become god that's the 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 thing that determines everything, right? That's, that's, that's the whole omnipresent. The whole, it's omniscient. It, it, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And people contend with that, and and they also abdicate so much—not just responsibility for doing things, but they abdicate uh, morality in many ways to it. And and actually, Bastiat has a great um, line in this book. And he says, when law and morality are in contradiction to each other, the citizen finds himself in the cruel alternative of either losing his moral sense or of losing his respect for the law. Two evils of equal magnitude between which it would be difficult to choose. And I think you can make a strong case that, you know, one has been, one is perverting the other, in the worst possible ways as a result of, um, just how all-encompassing and how omnipresent and how powerful uh, the state has become. And so. You know, you guys can comment on any of that if you like, but one question I'd like to ask you is that, that idea of of basically the reason, the, the primary reason why we would collectively organize is to preserve our individual safety effectively, using collective force to preserve individual safety and liberty. How do you how can that not be co-opted even if we're in a let's say we're in a bitcoin world but there's still the element of coercion i i i can agree or accept that the the logic of plunder or violence has changed to some degree right it's not so easy you can't just knock someone over the head and take their gold because maybe their gold is in their head and they have to be complicit in it but still you know power and violence and force obviously has the ability to coerce how do you guys see if we can shrink down to that level of collective organization from the you know where we are now? How do you see that being parameterized or how do you, contained in that function and not being co opted as has always been the case? Um, I think Bastia kind of hits on this, which is it's
1: the importance of this re education of what the state is or can be. Right, so we now we look at the state as it provide it can provide or should provide everything and it should prevent all ills or can provide, can prevent all ills. And I think the Bitcoin can be that force for re-education of like, that's not the role of the state and it shouldn't be. And now because we've taken away the printer, it can't be. Um, I think that i think that is you know people love to say that bitcoin fixes this or fixes everything or whatever bitcoin doesn't fix everything but just like just like everything else it is the shifts at the edges that change the narrative and eventually change the way that our our world or or, or uh our lives operate right it's it's these what seem like little things that we can twist you know small percentages on the end, you know, what percentage of the world of Bitcoin is right now, right? Like real Bitcoiners, not just own Bitcoin, but like really get it and, and understand it and, and believe in it to a level that changes them. It's a small fraction, tiny, a, small fraction a small fraction. Um but what uh what could be done it it's it's a powerful uh, and I think that's that's the thing I keep getting from from Bastias is this powerful switch. In that small percentage would then becomes a larger percentage and then becomes a larger percentage, which is this this change in the narrative of uh, something that libertarians have believed for for a long time and. Um, which is just that idea that it's not the state's job it's not the government's job they're not capable of solving all of these problems and, and you know Colin talked about the, the religion and, 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 and now the state. Um, know if you look back in history the tallest structures in the world generally coincide with the most powerful entities in that in that space right so you go back to the pyramids and the pharaohs um you know so you have have sort of the gods there and then you have uh in roman empire you have the the state and then you have churches and then you have the washington monument uh and government and then you have banks that are the tallest buildings in the world and now oil is the tallest building in the world It's like these things also coincide with what become our God in a lot of ways. What what becomes the thing that controls our society? Um, and I guess I see uh, I see that nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to flip the entire uh, world the way that we know it. But it is those small changes at the edges uh, that do make a big difference over time. You know, we may not see uh this re-education happened in our lifetimes but it is it is the germination of a beginning idea that can re-educate over a generation uh that can bring a new idea of that's not the state's job and i think that that is a powerful thing that bitcoin can bring which is that's not the state's job that is not that is no longer not only is it not their job but it can't be their job you know don't trust verify uh is a powerful sense that uh, there is no trust. It's not available. Right. So in Bitcoin printing more Bitcoin is not possible. It's not just that somebody is trusted not to do it. It is not possible. And so with that comes this idea of let's make these things that we don't want to happen in the world, not just, uh, we're going to trust somebody to not do it, a benevolent dictator, if you will, uh, you know, the Marcus Aurelius of the world, we're going to not make it possible. And it will no longer be in the state's uh, arena to make it possible. Um, and, and I think that, that really can have a, a huge effect and, and will have a huge effect. Um, so that's, that's again, you know, I think as powerful as the tool is, I think that that education piece and the community around it uh, may have just as large an impact um, in, in, in the greater scheme of things as we move more and more towards this inevitable Bitcoin world where, you know, what we used to take for granted. And, and, uh, you know, I love, I love the example of like the PhDs of communist economics in Russia, completely made up science or, or, or science of thought uh, that just went away when communist Russia fell apart, when USSR fell apart. And I think we may look at things like Keynesian economics in the same way under a Bitcoin world of like, Remember, we used to think that—that's you know—that was crazy. I can't believe that was how we used to believe. Or, or uh, you know, what an idiosyncratic thing that the people of the 1900s and the early 2000s believed—that you know, this broken window theory, these Keynesian economics, that we can just print our way out of problems. You know, thank God we have this. You know, now we have this Bitcoin thing. I, I think that people may look at MMT or or Keynesian economics the same way we used to look at bloodletting, right, or or some other uh, some other medical um, uh procedure that we now look at as dangerous and and silly and unnecessary um and it's that technology that's going to sort of allow that to exist i I think it's worth
2: considering I, i love what you just mentioned about the communist economic phds it's worth considering that like these fiat academics is what I like to call them. Uh, Because if you break down the word fiat into what it actually means, and so few people today understand this, they think fiat just means not backed by anything. But fiat means by decree. Uh, Fiat is a declaration that this is how it is. So all of these fiat academics who have been certified or classified as experts in a particular field by decree, by the state, by whatever governing authority gives them that power, um, who have these terrible, silly ideas that are destructive and useless for society or just flat out wrong. You got to think when the power structure that makes that fiat makes that declaration, when that power structure collapses, well, that declaration is gone, right? And that's exactly what you saw with with the communist PhDs it's it's like well the the authority that made that declaration no longer exists so what are you nothing you're just like the rest of us um, you know I, I want to oh and and this is something another thing that you were saying Bastiat talks about this too in the book um, this he he says that the state should not be focused on um, prevent or promoting justice, but rather should be focusing on preventing injustice. And this gets into this concept of negative and positive rights. You know, to to give somebody a positive right, you have to take something from someone else to give it to them. Uh, But negative rights is just this prevention of theft of one's wealth. You know, this this promotion of liberty and private property and free speech and those types of things, Uh, whereas opposed with, you know, taking and giving or taking and redistributing. I, and I totally agree with Bastiat there, but there's a my favorite Mises quote from Human Action. Um, I think you guys would both really like. It's uh, the flower or the flourishing of human society ultimately depends on two factors. One, the ability of outstanding intellectual men to conceive sound social and economic theories, and two, the ability of those men or other men to make those ideas palatable to the majority
0: yeah i mean that's kind of what we were discussing before with the utility of articulating explicitly some of these ideas and philosophies right and kind of putting them in the public domain to do battle right have these ideas do battle and then leave it to each individual to be inspired by whatever particular aspect of them that they are to try to amplify it or create it in in the real world right
2: that's really what Bitcoin does. I mean, Bitcoin does a lot of things, so we like to speak in absolutes. But one of the things that Bitcoin does is it makes that ideology so much more palatable to the masses, right? Because now you don't have to read human action.
0: You just got to buy Bitcoin because number go up, like orange coin good. <laughs> right. And it has embodied in it so many of those principles, right? That's, that's the magic of it. And that... So th- there's two things I wanted to touch on. One was... um you know, we talk about fiat economists. And John, you were mentioning your buddy, you know, your white whale who you want to try to orange pill, but he just can't get it. And, you know, Bastiat, as prescient as ever, touches on this um, in a, a bit more of a narrow scope, but he says if you lecture upon morality or political economy, official bodies will be found to make this request to the government, that henceforth science be taught not only with sole reference to free exchange to liberty, property, and justice, as has been the case up to the present time, but also, and especially with reference to the facts and legislation contrary to liberty, property, and justice that regulate French industry. That in public lectures salaried by the treasury, the professor abstained rigorously from endangering in the slightest degree the respect due to the laws now in force, which, you know, to my mind is, is an allusion to the fact that if you're... Let's say a fiat economist, if you're brought up on the fiat education, if you're suckling the fiat teat because you work at a you know, an institution that is either directly or in a roundabout way funded by the money or the ideologies of the dominant organizing mechanism, i.e. the state, then your incentives aren't to go against that, right? Your incentives aren't to introduce new ways of thinking about things. Your incentives are to play that game. Right? And so that's that's why so many people are so rigidly, so rigidly adhere to that because it's in their best interest to do that. Why rock the boat? It doesn't serve you whatsoever. Um, and John, what you were mentioning about Bitcoin and changing people, I mean, I, I love to discuss this topic on, on my podcast. I think it's the most fascinating aspect of what's going on. It gives me a tremendous amount of hope. Uh, and this goes to what Colin was just saying too. Like, I don't have much hope that I can force you know the world to read a hundred books on liberty, economics, and philosophy, and they'll just really get it. But you start, you know, you start owning Bitcoin, taking custody of your Bitcoin, like really owning it, and it it just starts to transform people. It seems, and like not exclusively. I don't want to overdo it. Like, yes, the the fact that you end up you 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 buy Bitcoin, you own Bitcoin then you start paying attention to Bitcoin things. Then you start maybe being on Twitter or being more attuned to seeing Bitcoin articles out in the, in the wild and maybe you read them. And so there's an element of being influenced by all the goings on in Bitcoin land exterior to you. But I still think there's something like transcendental or transformative about owning Bitcoin for yourself and kind of knowing that like, hey, I have this, this ultimate form of optionality that I that like nobody can intermediate that like only I control and that I can deploy to you know to do a great many things with my stored capital let's say Um, and I think that's a really unique feeling like feeling sensation that people especially once you start interacting with with the network and learning about it more it, it, it has a transformative effect on people and then as John was saying like you start reading more and you start making these small changes almost you know subconsciously at first and then maybe it ramps up and they're more conscious and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that like liberty as bastiat describes it or we can say sovereignty or freedom combined with a hope that it's possible and all the different images that flood your mind about what what encompasses that hope based on, you know, what your, you know, your understanding of of Bitcoin, let's say, let me reword that. Your understanding of Bitcoin engenders a certain type of hope. And then your kind of imagination runs wild with all the different uh, manif- like imagery associated with that. But I think freedom and hope, those two things are like insanely powerful sensations or or drivers of behavior. And once you have those two things, not only do you want to amplify them and continue to understand why they even occurred within you, why they why they sprung up, why they how you generated them. Um, but you I think you want to try to naturally foster more of or align yourself more with the the what you think is going to be well, you, you play to your incentives once again. Maybe that, maybe that's a punchline, right? The fiat economist is playing to their incentives. But if you see this new system, if you see this new this new power, this new tool, and this new this new future on the horizon. Maybe it's all just about playing to your greater incentives. Your time preference is is, um, is lower. You stack more sats. You don't spend it on booze. You make sure you're going to be healthy for that future that you envision. You know all this stuff is wrapped up in it, and I just find it so fascinating. And my, my point in saying all this is that getting people to read a bunch of stuff and change is almost impossible but I'm encouraged by seeing the extent of this transformation that is almost across the board. I mean, it has obviously, you know, slight differences, but John, like when you were saying how you had changed over the past three years, as a result of coming into this, like, I've heard that story a lot and that, that gives me so much hope because one number go up is such a powerful method of getting people in. And then once they come in to start being Transformed in that way, that gives me hope that um, that the process can accelerate. And I think we're just at the very, very beginning of this. And the more that we feed into it, I think the 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 more surface area this thing has for people to latch onto of people of different walks of life, different interests, different backgrounds, all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I I think it's a hope freedom and hope are are, are, are very powerful motivators. I think
1: I think every having you're bringing a new factor, like regardless of what we say, the the, the, the havings are going to bring in a new quorum of people every time. Right. It's just it's, just, yeah. it's going to happen. Uh, and whether they get it right away or it takes them a few years or whatever, you know, there are there are people who own Bitcoin out there who don't talk about it all day like psychopaths, you know, that, you know, I don't, I don't know who they are who owns Bitcoin and doesn't talk about it all day, but I don't know what's wrong with them. You know get on my level but uh you know it's my you know my brothers are great examples i i badgered all of them into buying bitcoin none of them you know really have gotten to this i should say not not um one of them has depth. i can see the change in him i can feel it um uh, you just i just got to
0: give that time once I it sense- hits a million bucks i think they will be a little bit more like right. i mean they're paying
1: attention they're excited about the price but they're not i know you know they're not reading best yeah they're not they're not reading what i got i got mises over here i got you know i got some individual i just finished you know so uh that i read for a couple of times now and, and i think that that is um yeah you're absolutely right right like whatever we you know the it's just this great dichotomy of like the tech the tool is so important bitcoin itself is so important it doesn't need us at all but at the same time and you I mean watching a clubhouse is, is a crazy place to be just because you see there's so much reinforcement of the ideals that we've that, that the bitcoin community has been trying to push over and over and over again and now it's being done in real time you're watching people come in and be like oh you know i've got nano or i've got you know these other cryptocurrencies and it's it's being you know it's being snuffed out almost immediately like <laughs> no you know it, you know it's like it's like a. a spray bottle and your cat and jumping on the counter like you know that's because Hoddle
0: like, and Bitcoin Tina they're abusing everybody who oh comes my God. up.
1: NBK and Bitcoin Tina. I you know I gotta I can't get in sometimes I gotta turn the room off because I can't hear about the lost monetary premium of gold one more time before I just lose my mind. Um <laughs> <laughs> but um you know I, I did want to mention so because because you're here Colin um you know the 19 Nixon I think is uh, and any any libertarian may have watched um Hamilton's pharmacopoeia uh about you know sort of about um psychedelic drugs and and the misconceptions and and you can't watch that and not have this sense of like you know what are we missing right and so the sub, the, the controlled substance abuse act of 1970 uh is not something that we talk a lot about in the bitcoin community uh, but i think it is almost as I won't say as powerful as as, as nineteen seventy one in terms of what we've done to the money, but you're talking about essentially banning amateur chemistry, right? And so in the book, you, you know, um, Bastiat says, "Now, by what action can society give to every person the necessary education and necessary tools of production if not by the action of the state?" So this idea that the state is responsible for Giving you the tools and educating you, I think that comes from like this, uh, this sort of elite guilt, right? So people who've made it, these, the, 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 the in a lot of, you know, in a lot of societies, there's these people who have benefited from the state, and now they have this guilt of like, well, we want to bring everybody else up, right? The, 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 the benevolent dictators, the benevolent, you know, the, the quote-unquote good legislators, they have this idea that like, well, I, I made it, I got educated, the system worked for me. But I have this guilt that like it didn't work for everybody so how do I get everybody so I'm we'll educate them the same way I was educated we'll teach them the same things we'll try to give them the rules and 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 in doing so they end up redistributing wealth creating more problems than they solve um you know you look at you look at China in the 1980s and and there's a term in economics you know 101 stuff which is the uh the PPR right or the PBC which is the um uh, production possibilities curve, right? So the society lives on this, this production possibilities curve when the state gets involved, it can move you away from that, that perfect, uh, level of economy where where the supply and demand crosses, right? You you can get away from that when the state gets involved and says, this group is going to make rice and this group is going to make wood. And this group is, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and, you end up creating inefficiencies, right? And so the market creates the most efficient pl- ways for, for, for uh, goods and services to be provided um, for the state. And you look at, you know, something like the Controlled Substances Act uh, and the state has said, okay, we're gonna provide you with tools. We're going to provide you with education, but wait, the 1960s counterculture was dangerous. We don't like what happened to the people who did acid or the people who did uh, uh, psychedelic drugs. We don't like what we did to, to the, you know, free love movement in the 1960s. So we're going to, not only are we going to ban those substances, but we're also going to ban basic amateur chemistry, uh, to the point where in 2019 you couldn't buy basic chemistry glassware in the state of Texas. It's a state that we think of as this sort of home of the free until 2019, you couldn't buy basic chemistry sets there. And I think about the loss of, uh, independent thought and independent creativity. I mean, imagine if we had banned uh, C++, right? Imagine if we had banned computer keyboards because the state had deemed that they were a danger. Um, all the things that we have lost. And then you and then you expand that across the history of the world and all the things that states or, or, or governments have banned because they were educated in such a way that they thought this was correct. Think about all of the inefficiencies created by that. And and that's when you know it really starts to hit home of like how much unintended dangerous consequences can come from people who think they know better. Um, give me a state of liberty. Give me a state where you can pursue your thoughts and ideas uh, in a way that allows for creativity and things to be pro- provided. If the United States, you know, and, and we we talk about things like this, Bitcoin all the time. I think the Red Flag Act. Um, in in the uk uh in the early days of the car is a perfect example of uh you have the uk was, was should should for all intents and purposes be should have been the leader of creating new cars uh in the world they had they were the leader in the industrial revolution they had the the ability they had the money and what happens legislators come along and they say that car is dangerous we're going to create this thing called the red flag act that requires three people to operate a vehicle one person to drive it an engineer to be in the car with him to make sure everything's going well, and a third guy to walk in front of the car by 100 yards or 100 <laughs> meters and make sure that nobody gets run over. And so what happens? The U.S. doesn't make those laws. Ford comes along and creates a new way of manufacturing, and the U.S. is off to the races and becomes the world leader in, in vehicles. You know, I think about that in the 1970s Control Subs Act with chemistry. I mean, think about all the brilliant people who just wanted to tinker, Thing people who just thought chemistry was cool. You know, they had no other, and how many of those people we lost because they couldn't get into the basic science and the state has basically said, unless you have a PhD or you are in a university program, we are not gonna give you access to the kind of things that will make your job interesting. And so they go and do something else with their time. Um, and, and then you look at the way that we've incentivized everything, uh, you look at the brilliant people who end up working in financial services, because that's where the money is. Instead of pursuing their passions of astrophysics or or chemistry or whatever it might be, you end up with, well, I could figure out a way of using my my advanced mathematical degrees in education and, and interest. I can find, instead of doing that, I can go work for a hedge fund and I figured out a way to tweak their algorithm and make them an extra 0.1%, which actually will make equal millions of dollars for their billions of dollars for them, millions of dollars for me. So instead of, uh, instead of using my massive intellect uh, and curiosity to, to do something that's interesting for the world, I'm gonna go and make, you know, 0.1% more. Um, and, and I think Bitcoin, uh, and this is probably the thing I'm most excited about with Bitcoin is that it will free up people from having to do those kinds of jobs because the number tech, number go up technology and just the, the, if you hold some Bitcoin, it gives you freedom, freedom and hope, right? So now I'm, I'm into astrophysics when I'm in high school and i'm not so worried about making that extra million dollars because i have bitcoin and i and i and i feel comfortable in that sense of freedom and hope well now i can go and figure out how we're going to land people on mars or uh or i can study you know the the results off the hadron collider and decide that uh oh i've learned something new about quantum physics that changes our whole understanding of the universe uh, we're so in the nascent stages of that and it will free up so much mental energy of the world of the entire world people who are focused on this this nothing that we this nothing of making money right this nothing of i need to pay my paycheck i need to you know you know get my mortgage on. I'm sorry I'll, next time I'll figure out how to turn my notifications off um, that 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 mental capital that is locked in a fiat system can be released under this new system and man can have hope and freedom i think you put it so well john i think that hope and freedom is what bitcoin gives us and i think like you said i think bastiat would see what's happening in the world right now and be extremely excited about the possibilities of, of what we are unle- unleashing uh, through this technology.
2: I can definitely speak to what you're saying there personally. Like I know when I was younger, I I've always had a huge affinity and fascination for science, natural sciences in particular. Um, but how do you work in that field? Well, you know, you, you have to get a PhD or you have to go to medical school. Um, and if you look at the the structure of the way that those types of careers are set up, well, the next six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years of your life are going to involve a lot of debt and a lot of slave labor. And you better just get used to it because that's the way it is and there's no other path. Um, and that that I know for me, like that completely turned me off. Like I at one point in my life, I wanted to go into the medical field and I took one look at it and said, no, I don't think so. And then other points, you know, I would like. Oh, I'd I'd love to be a chemist. Uh, no, never mind. I don't I don't want to do that. And it, really, the only place you can find, um, fortunately, still that type of fostering of creative energy in a logical natural science is in computer programming. It's really the only place it still exists, uh, because there's no ge- academic
0: gatekeeping. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I think beyond, let's say the tragedies that arise from the application of force by the state so i.e war i uh, you know I, I to my mind it seems like the the suppressant on the human spirit that arises from basically the central dictating of the parameters of, of society and and the incentives that are constructed from from that so basically like when you have such a top-down system the ideologies or the incentives or the values or what have you of the people at the top of that system is what sets the parameters for everyone below. And, you know, an, an easy examples, John, one you gave is just like of laws, right? Like if we say messing around with psychedelic substances is not permitted, well, that funnels people away from that and towards something else. And like, there are probably infinite examples of how the structure of the, the governance systems that we have predicated on the money have parameterized human action and, and restricted human action to a, a massive degree, which it's forced people to, and Colin, your, exa- your <clears throat> case is, is a perfect example. It's forced human, pe- human beings when they're making decisions to say, oh, that road is not available to me I have to go, you know, this road is the one that's been set out for me. But I don't really like that how that's road that road is set out. I'd rather go down the one that you know, the other one. But the this it's not set up for that. You can't make him you you can't make ends meet or you know, it, it, like it really morphs the system. And what I feel that does is like as your, as your example it it shows like you had an inward desire to explore whatever, like the natural world or the natural sciences. But because of of the way the system was structured, you were turned away from that. And how many instances are there of people being turned away from their natural impulse, their natural curiosity, their natural values or principles or whatever, because what they were perceiving out in the broader world, the, the quote unquote system that had been constructed along the lines that we've been discussing, had closed a lot of those doors, right? Like, what does that do to the human spirit? And I think what it does, well, I think it acts as a huge suppressant on the human spirit. And I think that is, again, apart from war, the biggest tragedy of all this, because when you, when you squash or inhibit the human spirit like that, I think you get a lot of the things that we're seeing today, a lot of frustration, a lot of despair, a lot of substance abuse, a lot of mental health issues, a lot of um, violence, ultimately, you know, it, that erupts in different. All this erupts in different ways, but I think when, when you continue to, you know, uh, contract the space around the individual, right? When their freedom, of uh, you know, of how they can choose to act in the world, is restricted and restricted and restricted and restricted there's a there's a tremendous frustration that arises from that whether or not it's consciously or, or subconsciously understood and you know i think part of the dynamic of of the this recurring process of history you know which uh, john as you said brandon kind of explores in 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 his writing about the fourth turning is that it gets so bad and a lot of people get destroyed by it and there's so many examples that we could point to in today's world that are would be examples of that but it also forces the refinement of the people who aren't going to be destroyed by it right so it it these these tumultuous times in history are completely devastating for a lot of people but they also end up um showcasing the examples of individuals throughout history that we now look to as as kind of, uh, we hold them up as for the the principles they espoused, or for the virtues, or for the values that they embodied, that they were forced to express more than they otherwise might have, because the circumstances dictated that they had to make a choice between acquiescing to, you know, the the restrictive or suppressing effects of their current environment or resisting it and actually revealing those things that are most true about themselves right and you could roughly characterize this as being the kind of story of the martyr, right who despite the the circumstance despite the 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 tragedy or the difficulty of the circumstance maintains you know that core essence of truth or virtue or value or principle about themselves and um and again that is as we've all been saying that is such one of the reasons for such excitement because I think out of this current time, which, I mean, look, people, you mentioned uh, Ilhan Omar recently, like we're asking the government to cancel and pay for rents. We're asking them to, you know, get involved in wages. Like it's so, it's such a Leviathan at this point that's restricted, you know, human individual decision-making and responsibility to such a massive degree um and then we have certain cohorts of people i think the bitcoiners chief among them that are being led by by this freedom and hope that they they can now access and see and i think that's inspiring them tremendously but it's also causing us to refine and kind of like cut away the fat of our personalities and our characters and and cause us to contemplate and develop more our own philosophies and ideologies of what we truly are about what are the things that are most valuable to us health family curiosity play fun fill in the blank i'm not i'm not imposing any of that but it seems to be a trend that the ju- juxtaposition of the circumstance we're in with now the new emerging possibility that we're perceiving is 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 facilitating that process and so You know, I'm simultaneously horrified at just how invisible, but how uh, influential the current structure has been on, you know, the human spirit, but also, you know, so excited by uh, what this change represented in Bitcoin is, or or what this new paradigm represented in Bitcoin is fostering in terms of the re- re-emergence and the rejuvenation of the human spirit which you know i i see in bitcoiners i see you know a revivified everything you know curiosity hope freedom interaction connection uh, you know all of that i mean and and it's exploding it's like dripping from all of our we're sweating it all out and uh so you know i I couldn't couldn't be more hopeful about that but uh, i do think i just wanted to elaborate on that point about how much the restriction of having someone dictate in a centralized system, their own values and principles, et cetera, and having it forcefully applied to everyone, how much that constrains and and negatively influences, um, you know, the human spirit of the individual.
1: Yeah, I, I found, so, you know, I don't know how much time you guys have. I could do this all day, honestly.
0: Um, I'm, I'm good.
1: Um, uh to tie that back to bitcoin you know this is sometimes you know narratives can kind of come up and then go away and come up and go away sometimes with bitcoin and, and you know when i first came in the, the, the conversation was always you know bank the unbanked and remittances were like the you know that was that was sort of something that really intrigued me because i had been I'd served, I've, I've done two tours in afghanistan i saw what abject po- poverty looked like um and i and i saw what not having access to both the internet and 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 information and also the access to um you know to a banking system or or to to uh, a reliable currency it does to people and to tie what you were saying john back to bitcoin um there may be, you know so there are people who don't don't go after the things they would want to go after because of the limitations of the system but there are also people who you know, the greatest entrepreneur in the world may live in a part of the world that just doesn't have the access uh, and will never have the access. And, and Bitcoin removes all those barriers in one fell swoop. And so the combination of the internet with the internet of money, um, I think is, is, you know, can't be understated the power that it can bring to, to, uh, to those people of the world that we, in our, in our heart of hearts or in our, in our greatest aspirations look to help. Um, you know, I think, uh, the world is flat, you know, this idea that the world is flattening, uh, and it was, it certainly has been slowly flattened by the internet and access to it. Uh, and now this, this there, but there was this missing piece, right? And Bitcoin is that missing piece of flattening access and, and opportunity. Um, and I, and I find that to be just, you know, such a force for good and such a possible force for good, uh, And, and people, you know, when I talk to people who are just getting into Bitcoin, they're like, well, what about the other people in the world who don't have access to this or, and I'm like, well, okay, let's look at, you know, Nigeria, for instance, I think 32% of Nigerians now own Bitcoin, Uh, you know, so if you think this is a Western, uh, this is a, a Western adoption, this is, you know, a bunch of tech bros from Silicon Valley. Uh, yeah, there's certainly a lot of that, but there are people in the world, you know, there, there, there are people who are interested in this because they have libertarian ideals or they, uh, they have an open mind or they see the problems in the world and they, they want to get in front of it. But then there are people in the world who need it right now, and they're using it in that way right now. And, and I think that narrative gets lost. Uh, and, and I hope that we continue to see uh, adoption in that way giving people who don't have access the 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 same sort of life raft or the same arc that that we are preaching about talking about discussing all the time um and and i and i say that because of that first person experience you know i i, I did a I, you know probably the most powerful uh experience as a marine was so i'm a, I'm a c-130 pilot i fly uh, big cargo planes um And usually we're doing refueling or we're doing logistics, but in 2013, we had Typhoon Haiyan, which wiped out, um, Southern part of the Philippines. Um, and we went there to do humanitarian aid relief and seeing, so, so being a part of that operation, being a part of, uh, you know, that force for good that, that, that we, we felt, you know, we were doing there, but then at the same time seeing, uh, the level of, uh, the lack of access to the things that we take for granted, uh, was a really powerful moment for me. And then, and then again, deploying to Afghanistan and seeing it again in first person of the lack of, you know, you have a population that is illiterate to the point of, you know, I think 75, 80% in parts of, in, in the Southern parts of Afghanistan. Um, and if you can combine those things together, you can make this, give access to these people that, that would otherwise not have it. And they are the ones that will, i think they're the ones that will adopt it faster than people uh that i talk to on a daily basis who are like oh i heard bitcoin's doing well like that's cool i don't really need it i've got a bank i got venmo right i've got i've got a bank account i got a chase account i got a credit card uh i hope that uh the 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 actual requirement to adopt it outpaces those uh who who don't see it for what it is and just assume well you know, I've got I've got Fintech so I don't need Bitcoin and don't understand the fundamental difference between the two uh, yeah
0: um, I got a question and it's obviously a bit personal so you can feel free to not answer it sure. but you know we're, we're, this conversation centers around what Bastiat thought was the primary, raison d'etre, the primary use of law, which is to bring together collective force in order to preserve individual liberty and and prevent injustice. Um, and, you know, Bitcoiners, we've been discussing a lot what some of the philosophies that Bitcoiners tend to have. How do you square, you know, being a part of the instrument of the apparatus of force for this big... You know leviathan state that we've been largely criticizing throughout this conversation yeah. with you know w- you know let's some of the philosophies that may have been amplified in you since coming into bitcoin or along the lines of what we what we discussed like I, i'd just be interested in hearing how you square you know what you do with yeah i think there's um there's certainly a
1: you know, there's there's there need there's always needs to be a separation between the the warrior and the state um, or the or the uh, the military member and and the state and the philosophy behind that. Um, you know, people join the military for all kinds of reasons, right? And and some of those are incentives because you know maybe maybe you're joining because of its education or uh, you want a benefit that has nothing to do with military service or what the military does. Um, you know, it is something that. Is you know it, it is it is an interesting process to go through while I'm still serving and and I am still wrestling with those with those thoughts. But you know I do think you know and he, he does say that the function of law is to protect the free exercise of these rights and to prevent any person from interfering with the free exercise of these same rights by any other person. Uh, in a global state, where does that? That is one question I actually had about you know as I was reading about Bastiat and how he would look at the world today sometimes that is an easier thing to to discern on a local level or you or at least you think the state can control on a local level. But when you're talking about global threats, um, whether that be terrorism or a nation state, um, where does where does that military stop? Right. Where does. So if if you think that, um, you know, a a Taliban like attack of 9-11 or something other than that uh, is possible, does the military stop at uh, we're going to retaliate when things happen or or do you take more of a George W. Bush type approach of uh, you know we're going to go out there and root out the evil and stop it before it can it can uh, raise its head. And I, I do think, you know, I, I think that Bastiat talks about it, right, you know, the the existence of persons and property perceived the existence of the legislator. And its function is only to guarantee their safety. Well, where does that guarantee stop and start? And uh, I think that there are uses of military that are required for a state in a, on a global stage. So, I, I, you know, there, there a lot of Bitcoiners will say, well, we don't. You know, the military is not something we need, or we, or it, or it is the, the military that protects the fiat system. Um, and and I think that. Get what gets lost in there is the protection that the military provides to the individual or to the people of that state, and um, and so I I think there is a place for national defense in in the world in a Bitcoin world. Um, I just think that we have
0: overstepped that in the current fiat world. Yeah, I think um, you know I I hear what you're saying, and I I think it's hard to parse out. It's always hard to isolate certain things when they're in such a broader in you know, like you mentioned, George W. Bush saying like, well, you know, is defense? Is there a preemptive element to defense? But then the question is like, well, yeah, but how much did you contribute to the thing that you're preemptively just dis- defending against? Right. And so, um, you know, that, that that's why I asked to, to get your thoughts, because like we've been saying defense is always going to be perhaps is the primary component of the law, but you know, it seems like it's become like everything so perverted and so overused and so exacerbated that, uh, Breedlove talked a little bit about this. uh, I forget where I was
1: listening to it, which is sort of that, uh, that idea of the fiat system, uh, it it takes what would normally be so it takes that require it takes away the requirement of of, um, consent from the populace right so Mm -hmm. in a bitcoin world could we still have a military could we still have a unit for defense yeah but it would require permission and right now we don't require permission i think that's the fundamental difference and that's the change i would like to see right so there is no requirement for permission of like hey should we build you know 10 you know hundreds of billions of dollars worth of F35s uh, you know is that something that we that we need as a nation um, you know when there's no permission required then yeah we'll build we'll build them until you know until the next idea comes out and then we'll spend more money and build those and so there you take away uh, the requirement for uh, efficient use of capital and uh, you know and, and I think even in in a world of covid however you feel about about covid you know, maybe there's a world in which we say, uh, hey, we're going to raise taxes by 0.1% this year because uh, it'll help us, it'll help the, the entire populace. Um, it'll, it'll, it'll benefit the entire populace. But again, it's, it's required permission. And that's what we've lost in a fiat system is there is no requirement for permission or asking the, the, the governed or asking the people for how we want to do that, and if you outstep that in a Bitcoin world, then your government fails, and the system will turn to something else. Whereas now you can make mistakes forever, and you can just print over them, and print over them, and print over them, as we see time and time and time again. And uh, and I think that's that's the, the the difference that I hope to see. Um, now I, it's so hard. I, I feel like for, for me at least, as I'm still sort of grasping, is like what does the hyper bitcoinization world really looked like is there no more nation state is there no more government is there you know are we all in cyberspace do we become interplanetary i don't know I, you know it's 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 something i'm still grasping with i'd love to hear your guys thoughts uh you know how how that world looks but i you know i'm listening to the conversations and i'm and i'm still trying to understand or i'm still trying to to form my own thoughts on what exactly that world looks like Um,
2: I would ask if you've ever read any Rothbard, John. Yeah, I
1: do have. I uh I have I have read some Rothbard for
2: sure. Yeah, because I mean, you know, it's like you said, these aren't easy topics to wrestle with. Uh for New Liberty and Anatomy of the State are probably some of the most profound works of literature ever written, if I had to say so myself, and likewise with like with the road to serfdom. I mean. Um, I certainly understand your contentions and, 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 but I don't know. I know for me personally, I, I feel like the more I dive into these things and, and, you know, you see, uh, other John has sovereign individual back there behind him on the table. Uh, that's another book that I've recently gone through. Um, and I had kind of been putting that one off because, it, it was kind of exactly what i expected it to be but i enjoyed it more than i thought i would because it had so much history in it and i love history um but it, it kind of basically just rehashes a lot of the things that rothbard talks about um in what a truly free market society or an anarcho-capitalist society looks like and how it functions and um how it doesn't just you know collapse into chaos and destruction um and how it could actually potentially be better in a lot of ways and. You know there's there's nuance too and it is complicated i talked earlier about the barbary coast wars um in that environment you know there wasn't a solution readily available um, to solve the problem other than um state force brought to bear to protect the free flow of commerce on the international waters and you know i, I if i had been in thomas jefferson's shoes i don't know that i would have seen a different solution to that either um it it so much of it is theoretical right because we've we've never truly seen some of the things that we're talking about and certainly this paradigm shift is unprecedented i mean it's uncomfortable to wrestle with the idea that perhaps the world as i know it today may not exist in 10 or 20 years um but it's it's certainly a possibility i mean i i can't say with certainty you know that there will be no more nation states um but it you know certainly seems that that is a possibility especially as they are printing themselves into irrelevance um it it's so powerful this disruption of status quo this disruption of established order um and this established order that is going so far against the grain of what I call the natural order right what we were talking about earlier, like the system of inputs and outputs and the consequences that they that they yield. Um, I don't know man, I think the state's days are numbered uh, but that's just me personally.
0: yeah I, I, I think as we've been discussing, you know the money is probably the primary determinant of what the governance system looks like broadly defined, and I, I think. Our government governance system, right now, in practice, not in theory, but in practice, I don't. It has, I mean, we have a. There's not chaos on the streets. There's something to be said for that, of course, right? But uh, it's become, it's metastasized to something, you know, truly, uh, well, you know, cancerous to the host, in my opinion, uh, and has a lot of, a lot of problems. I think when that when a system becomes predicated on something else we're going to see something vastly different and it's going to be in line with the permissions and prohibitions that that thing i.e the money i.e bitcoin uh fosters or, or has has within it and the things that that grow on top of that as a result and so you know i i i don't like to get too we all we can only speculate about what a transition might be like and how messy it'll be and blah blah blah. But I think in the future we probably see smaller organizations, like a a, a fracturing of of jurisdictions of of some kind. Um, and I think we'll see the kind of jurisdictional competition that the sovereign individual anticipates. You know, it's hard for me to imagine that you know a year from now, let's say or two years from now, Bitcoin's $10 trillion market cap, we're on its way to $100 trillion market cap. And there's a lot of freedom loving people around the world that are looking to get out of you know places that are imposing le- or, or, or restricting freedoms from them. It's hard for me to imagine that jurisdictions don't start popping up saying, hey, look, it's, you know we don't have real much, much power or control over the nature of things anyway. So we're gonna, you can have as much freedom as you want. Just come here with your IP and your capital and everything else and- you know, uh, do your thing. And I feel like once that ball gets rolling, it'll probably heat up and hopefully that competition will mean more freedoms and better living circumstances. And that'll put pressure on on other places, but too many variables to to know, you know? So I think the as with maybe the individual life is like the best way to guide forward is to try to discern what you think is the most valuable use of your time and the behavior that's most in line with your values and principles. And, you know, pursue that path and see what opens up in front of you. And I think if we all do that, we'll probably end up in a good place. But, um, you know, like like Colin said, we're in a, a time of extreme change. And even, even with COVID, like, I my perspective was, we're, we all know this evolving, technology narrative right we're in you know the singularity whatever you want to call it like we've we've always known that in our lifetimes technology has been evolving extremely rapidly and that's like that's obvious but i think we also kind of felt that we were in a historical period of like things are going to more or less stay the same or be stable like yes we'll have cooler gadgets but like the big like we're talking about the like france in the late 18th century early 19th century there was a lot of chaos and change and carnage and all sorts of shit going on there. Um, and I, I don't know, I felt like I never really thought that we would see that type of change, but with the forces at play now, and especially things that have been going on since the pandemic hit, like you're starting to get that feeling that we probably won't enjoy as, as quote unquote, calm and a generation as our parents, you know, the baby boomer generation, like i think we may be in one of those generations of extreme change and um i think this may be just the start of it and we have a phenomenal tool to help facilitate and guide that change in in a way that is hopefully positive but no change comes without disruption right that's the whole point of it and and disruption can be extremely uncomfortable for people that are resistant to it or not prepared for it or what have you so uh yeah i i I don't know where we're going, but I'm I'm hoping that uh, the, the, the tools of sovereignty at our disposal are greater than ever. And uh, I think it's just incumbent upon us to leverage those and use them to optimal effect, to establish those things in our own lives, to permit us to be the people, to permit us to be the people that we believe we are and we can be back to that idea of kind of suppressing the human spirit and hoping that more and more people doing that uh results in in more positive outcomes for the world
2: i I would add to um that the state by its nature like because you were talking about how part of the problem with our defense complex is you know it's it's coercive it's non-voluntary you know i don't get to choose whether or not um biden bombs syria um and and a, a less coercive system Um, would would be preferable and might evolve out of Bitcoin because the state loses its ability to just fund non profitable endeavors. Um, You know, essentially what you're describing there is a a more free market system where if you don't like this, you go to that and all participation is voluntary because if they don't get your money from you, you know, you don't take their service and they go out of business. really the a state sovereign by its fundamental nature is coercive because if it's not coercive it really sort of ceases to function um it, you know and, and when you break down like that like because if if a state sovereign is not coercive what can it do it can do it can't do anything if it's not coercive if it's not mandatory um If it's not going
0: against market forces, what's the point of it, right?
2: Right. Otherwise, because the state is not an individual. The state doesn't take action. The state doesn't have ends. The state just is comprised of individuals with their own agendas. Um, And the state is a means to those ends. So if the state is non-coercive, well, then that just kind of happens at the individual level.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, the, that is probably the thing that I'm, you know, i reading Sovereign Individual and, and coming to these things and, um, you know, really wrestling with this stuff, uh, with, with these ideas is, is sort of that last frontier uh, for, for me and for Bitcoiners in general of like, okay, so we're working towards creating this new world. What is that going to look like? It doesn't just form itself necessarily um but it can be shaped by you know the 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 technology that we're creating and you know you mentioned the singularity is near and I, I think i had a sense as a younger as a younger man of like you know oh man i wish i'd lived in this time or i wish i'd lived in this era or i wish i would lived in this decade and, and um for the first time really i'm i'm so excited to be a part of the the you know the current simulation, if you will, uh, the current timeline that we're living in, which is, you know, we really are on the cusp of. Let's go fucking create whatever we want. You know, let's go make the the world we we want it to be. And and um, you know, the book I recommend sometimes for people non Bitcoin related or, or or not usually sort of spoken of in this uh, in in the sphere is Ray Kurzweil's Singularity is Near, two thousand five. It's a book I read before, uh, you know, before the white paper was published that I think most prepared me for accepting what Bitcoin was and what it was gonna be. And just that I, just replacing that idea that, you know, we, we are all linear thinkers, right? Human beings are linear thinkers. It's almost impossible to think in parabolas, but reading Ray Kurzweil primed my brain to, to look at, at those parabolas and, and, and start trying to think in that way um, and so when I came across Bitcoin, I could understand the power of parabolic money um, as opposed to sort of this linear thinking of like, yeah, we're just gonna continue on this basic line. And now we're in the early stages of, of, of as Ray talks about sort of that knee in the curve when things start to go vertical. And uh, if you extrapolate that out to our governance and our society, the amount of change we're going to see uh, in, the, in the coming years is is going to be so rapid that you almost can't uh, you you almost can't comprehend it, right? It, it will happen it will happen in a way that uh, you know looking at your small area won't feel like a lot is changing, but when you look back five ten years, the whole world will have shifted, um, and so that's what makes it so difficult to really predict what what is that what is that possible world going to look like, and and it is important that's you know, we talked about earlier, John, the the importance of reading or the importance of thinking about these things. That's where I think these sort of important ideas come in because the the landscape has shifted so fast. We need some kind of, it will be helpful to have some kind of guide of what that world might look like. And this idea of returning to a smaller nation state or a city state or or a sovereign individual uh, is a really powerful idea that we finally have the tools and technology in order to implement that.
0: Well, that's the interesting conundrum and irony of this situation because a top-down, centralized, rigid organizational structure like that is very poorly equipped to, uh, to confront accelerating novelty, right, the accelerating development as you just articulated. And the irony there is that the more it struggles with adapting to that change, the more restrictive it becomes, the more it attempts to control all that change, and that actually is inverse to its best interest, or it's it makes it less and less capable of responding to the change, rather than more. But it's kind of in its nature to try to solve problems in that way, and this, you know, bringing things full circle, nobody, no entity is more capable of adapting to change than the individual. And, you know, this, that line of thinking is not only represented in Bastiat's book, but it's pretty much at the core of all religious and spiritual things, you know, uh, philosophies and uh, truths perhaps. Uh, and we explored this recently on the last uh, book club, but that it is the the domain of the individual to mediate the process of, to, to to best mediate the process of change with the order necessary to navigate the world, right? So obviously, not everything can be current, it uh, can be always in flux. You need order for safety and for, you know, to build upon existing knowledge, but you also need to be able to delve into the unknown, into, into the chaos, into the change to be able to take out novel and useful information from that and reintegrate it. And that is the domain you know, of call it the logos or free will or the individual. And that is definitely not the domain of the state. And the more things accelerate, uh, I think the more that becomes obvious. And I think perhaps that's why we're seeing a change on the individual level where more and more people are are responding, in my opinion, properly to that change. But I think that's also why we're going to have a kind of it's darkest before the dawn scenario where uh, the amount of change and disruption is only going to exacerbate the flaws and the problems in the existing structure that attempts to control and organize and and fail to adapt to to that change, which is the state and and ultimately it's uh, oppressive measures taken in the pursuit of that. And I think there's
2: plenty of examples. Um just in the last decade of things that the state has done because it had to be done, right? We had to bail out the airlines. We had to bail out the banks. Um, and yet now here we are, you know, 12 years later, and there's planes flying through the air with parts falling out of the sky. And everyone's like, man, how does this keep happening? Um, <laughs> well, you know, when you, when you st- do, I guess we didn't learn anything from the Soviets
0: yeah, when you turn everything into a zombie it's going to start losing toes and legs and ears and stuff you know like things things decay and they break down and if they're not able to be to die and be recycled then you know you're, you're gonna get you're gonna get that kind of stuff and you know that's one of the real fundamental components of Bastiat's whole philosophy and everything we've been talking about is and because we talked about the printing press and we talked about you know where's the line of even from a military perspective, how do you define defense and all this stuff? And it's such a slippery slope, right? Say, oh, it's a crisis, you know, like we have the ability, does that not mean we have the obligation to help, right? Whether it's a humanitarian crisis outside the border or inside the border, say, look, we know we're here only for the the, the defense of liberty and to preserve justice, but everyone's really suffering right now. and, And I think we could help. And that is such a slippery slope to, to go down that road because it leads to, in my opinion, where we are now. And you know, the faith underlying Bastiat's philosophy here is in the not only the sovereignty, but the ability and the responsibility of the individual to basically figure shit out for themselves. And as he goes to great lengths, or not great lengths, but he mentions in the book, that doesn't mean like dog eat dog world, everyone fight for themselves. It just means that he he has a faith in the individual to make the relationships in their in their in their lives to act as a market participant, to act as a, a social creature in such a way that manages their own well being and the well being of others whom with they're connected, right? It doesn't it doesn't require the intervention of a supra you know supra individual entity to facilitate all this that stuff and in fact that that is ultimately detrimental so there's a faith there that like you know you have to be okay with what freedom produces in our, in his opinion and i think in ours freedom produces well obviously peace by by definition but prosperity and uh, happiness and et cetera, et cetera. But there's also elements of freedom that you might find distasteful, i.e. letting a company that employs 100,000 people die because that's the iterative process of, of identifying poorly deployed or poorly managed capital and then recycling that and turning it into pristine, efficient, new capital to go towards discovering more truth in the market, to go towards entrepreneurs taking more risk and saying, I identify this as something that, that people want. I'm gonna to try to produce it in the way in which they want it. And I live or die based on my capacity and ability to do that. You have to be okay with that process. And it seems like you know, in, in the broad um, uh, trend of softening society, possible you know most likely in no small part because of the softening of the money that there's a less and less acceptance of that process we don't want any company to fail we don't want any bank to fail we don't want anyone to lose their jobs we don't want anyone to not have this or have that you know to the point where everyone gets saved now everyone gets a, a a bailout because we're not willing to say what free people do with their freedom is their obligation and their responsibility, right? We've we've we we've there's such there's been such a departure from that both philosophically, ideologically, and structurally, that um, we get plain parts falling from the sky. And unless something changes, I would say that's and and history is probably uh, you know supportive of this more of that's probably going to happen, right? Our institutions, our companies, all, you know, all the stuff that are that are, quote unquote beneficiaries of that, but ultimately, you know, uh, un, uh, like ultimately undone by that process uh, will, will continue to happen and we will suffer the consequences through our safety that, you know, through safety or through the quality of the products and services that we have available, available to us in the market. And all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I agree.
1: One of the one term we have, I think one term we haven't thrown out, and and uh, some of that I think kind of underpins everything you were just talking about, and, and and is that is the term of discipline, right? So like, we have outsourced discipline through fiat money, right? We we it is no longer required, right? There is no required discipline for uh, you're for being an efficient provider of services because the market because the government will eventually bail you out. Uh, there is no discipline for um, you know for, for yourself. And I've I've seen this in Bitcoin quite a bit, and and it kind of goes back to, you know, I've seen a lot of Bitcoiners who get on diets and lose a lot of weight, for instance, right? And they, they, they sort of realize there is something fundamental about Bitcoin and being and owning your own capital and having lower time preference that makes you more disciplined around what would seem to be unrelated places, right, like your health. Uh, you know, just because you've got this money, why all of a sudden are people getting healthier or they're drinking less or they're spending less money? Or, you know, and it it just sort of, you know, we say you can't hack Bitcoin, uh, but but Bitcoin can hack you. I think is, is you know, I've seen it all over the place. And there is this lack of discipline in our current, um, in our current economy, in our current society. And you see it with, I mean, in America, you see it with, the health. I think I saw a tweet yesterday, the average man in America is 5'9 but 195 or almost 200 pounds and the average woman is 5'4 171 pounds um, and you wonder why America is having so much trouble with COVID and a lot of it is because of the obesity we have in this country uh, and because people have sort of accepting of this lack of personal discipline because we will we will the state will take care of you and so if the state's going to take care of me why would i take care of myself um and then this and that's because the state has no discipline it's not required if there's no requirement or incentivize or or an incentive for discipline then why do it Uh, right you know i'm either going to get bailed out or they're going to have some drug that will save me or you know i will be considered a uh um At high risk person, so I'll get my vaccine first, even though my high risk is that I'm a chain smoker or I'm a or I'm 50 pounds overweight or 100 pounds overweight. That's my comorbidity. So I'm going to get a vaccine first. And you you keep removing these disciplines from the world. Um, And, you know, obviously, as a Marine, we incentivize discipline through lots of means. Um, but it's also a self-choosing thing, right? You don't just become a Marine and and they like give you, you know, part of it is a self-selection bias as well. Um, but it's, it's part of our ethos part of who we are is that sense of discipline. And and I have always had this feeling looking out and looking out at the rest of the world from my, my lens of like, why, why are people so different in this regard? And when you realize that it all comes down to the money, you know, and when I say this to, to people, um, outside of or, or from thinking of it from a from not from first principles uh and i say yeah if we fix our money you know you'd see healthier people you'd see healthier individuals you'd see you know uh, people that are more curious, you know that they're like you're just gonna fix you fix the money and that that seems insane but they're so interconnected it's so much at the basis of what we do because you know we Yes we all know that money is important but not why money is important right money is that thing that prices everything in our lives it prices our value it prices what we value um and if you if you deteriorate that market right it's like changing uh it's like changing a unit of measurement right it's like changing uh if you say hey i run a 6 minute mile but then you change the mile to be 20% more on a given day or 20% less on a given day how are you ever supposed to keep any sort of standard of, of what, uh, you know, or how do you keep any sort of measurement standard? And and it's the same with money. If, if we have no idea what the money supply is, if, if the government's going to print another $1.9 trillion, and what do you get? You get headlines of Biden solves poverty for 20% of America. It's like, that's, that's not what's happening. But yet as Bastiat says, we have, you know, you, the education, the, the, politics and the news all sort of are playing into this idea and and not necessarily nefariously, it's just the world that we've built. It's this lens that we've built, this idea that um, you know, if you're wronged by the state, don't worry, the state will either take care of you or you can sue the state and they're gonna give you $20 million for what they did. But the state doesn't give you anything. The state can't give you anything. They're taking it from everybody else and giving it to you. Uh, and, and, and it's, I think that the more people take personal responsibility, take discipline and, and start with their money is a great place that, you know, is the place to do it. But it, it, it certainly we see as the place, you start looking at these stories, you start looking at these headlines and you realize, you know, that's not what's happening. You know, you what you are saying is not the reality of the world that we live in. Um, and I think that is, that is you know what bitcoin brings certainly i see that it brings is, is this sense of discipline that we must take responsibility for ourselves that the state you know we, in america we, we we are founded on the idea of the separation of church and state well what about the separation of the state from all of these other things that we don't separate education uh the money
0: that's um, what the book's about right that's exactly
1: right that's the book that's exactly what the book is talking about. It's like, okay, separate church and state, America, we got that. We're, we're, we are all for it. I mean, in practice, do we really, I don't know, you know, we've got, in God we trust not anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but let's just say, let's just take for, let's just take it. You know, we, we talk about that, right. That's certainly taught. It's, it's one of our founding principles this idea. Um, even though, you know, well, you can get the, I'm not going to undercut my own point, but, uh, you know, we, we have this fundamental idea that we have the separation of church and state. So why not the separation of all these other things? And, and I think with the discipline of money could come this discipline of like, Hey, that's not the state's job anymore. It's your job. And you have to take responsibility and you have to deal with the consequences of it. And you, that's a nice thought, but with Bitcoin, it becomes a reality. And I think that's, you know, again, we come back to, to Bastia, that we come back to this book of that is that missing, that missing piece, that missing tool. And, uh, and for me, I think that's that's you know very extremely profound and, and what and something that I really look forward to.
2: I want to circle back to um what John Bell said before that, where he was talking about the um being okay with the consequences of uh letting voluntary free market action take its course and how sometimes that's much more uncomfortable. I, I think a good example, and again, I point back to Bosti. it's, you know, that which is seen and that which is not seen. Um, I think a good example of this is minimum wage law, right, where on the surface level, um, people are saying, oh, well, it's unfair. It's unfair that these people are not getting paid as a living wage, you know, whatever that means. They, they're entitled to more. There's a really good case study that I discovered uh, on this in American Samoa. Um, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, American Samoa is a small island uh, that is actually an American territory. And you probably never probably never even heard about it. Like most people don't even know about it. And they, their primary um, industry is tuna fishing and tuna canning on the island. And at one point in time, I, I forget when exactly it was, I'd have to go look it up, but they basically passed a minimum wage law on the island and put the tuna cannery out of business. Um, and it's kind of like, yeah, on the surface, like it sounds really good, it seems great. And I love that example, cause it's like a microcosm, you know, it was an island economy and the, you know, they had limited resources and all these people who needed jobs and instituting that change that, that probably made everyone feel great on the outset it was like, this is gonna be awesome. Everyone's gonna make more money. We're all gonna be happier and healthier and there's gonna be more to go around. And what did they do? They destroyed their way of life. Um, And it's interesting, too, that, you know, you look at the West, which is probably the most philanthropic um, society that's ever existed. I mean, granted, America is not perfect, but it's probably the closest thing to a truly capitalist system that we've had in, in at least a long while. And it's been one of the most prosperous nations that's ever existed and certainly the most advanced. Um, but yet we see we see huge outpourings of, of philanthropic organization and support and charity um, to lift to try to like you know lift people up and lift them out of poverty. but it's when it becomes coercive, it's when it becomes non-voluntary. It's when it endangers businesses through things like minimum wage laws like yeah, it feels good, it sounds good. It doesn't work. you know it, it has to happen naturally. it has to evolve through people's desire to help one another. Um,
0: Yeah. And I think it would, that's the thing, right? Like the, the insidious propensity of the state to cause people to abdicate the responsibility for so many things to it rather than taking it for themselves is one of the primary problems, right? Like, so if you think there's this massive social, Forget the, so there's a moral issue with the social welfare system, right? And that is, it takes involuntary from you to redirect and give to someone else, right? So your your freedoms and liberties are being imposed upon or infringed upon. But remove that for a second. And I, I think everyone just thinking like, oh, here's the mentality. The, the government will take care of it. Right. Social welfare or education or defense or health care or whatever people say the government will take care of it. So I think in a in a different sort of environment where that wasn't the case. And this question comes up all the time. I think one less people would need social welfare because the market would dole out the rewards more efficiently than the, the market with state intervention does. So I think there would be less need for social welfare. I think m- the level of uh, prosperity uh, generally would be higher. And so I think people would have more disposable income to potentially contribute to whatever welfare was necessary. And I think that would happen because people wouldn't de facto think that it's gonna be taken care of by somebody else. And it would be far more local, your street, your, You know your block that you live on your cul-de-sac your little town or community your city like surely if there was people struggling tremendously there. And again, I think there'd be far fewer than there is even now, but I I think there would just be more capacity and more uh, willingness to contribute to those who, for whatever reason, uh, are having, you know, issues, whether they be health mental health you know, uh, money, whatever. I think there would be a genuine social safety net. It just wouldn't be conducted by the state and would be predicated on the morality and the values of principles of the individuals in the environment of those people, right? That's that's the other, like, incredible perversion uh, or you know one of the main impacts of the state is that it, it so influences the morality of the of the individuals in such an insidious and often you know subconscious and unseen way and i think that's one of them you 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 don't have to both understand and refine what your own values principles and morals are because you almost never like you don't have to express them in that often or, or in certain capacities or in certain forms. And it's, and it all gets delegated to the state. You know, another simple example is if healthcare wasn't provided by the state, one, I think it would be better. And I think it would be cheaper, but, uh, if, if it wasn't provided by the state, I have to assume that at least a a certain percentage of people would take more responsibility for their health, for the very, simple reason that they would understand that nobody is there to bail them out right so so right now you can you can smoke all your life and can eat cheetos all day and can do nothing and show up at the hospital at 55 and say like a cancer heart disease and 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 i'm obese please fix me and and you know it's different in different places but in canada that's the case right you can do it and and it's on the dime of the state um whereas if you if that wasn't an option if you knew you were going to have to pay for your health care how much would that influence your decision making i mean I, I think it's impossible to refute that it would I- impact it in some way in the direction of i'm going to have to take more responsibility here so you know i i i totally agree with that characterization and on the minimum wage thing and and the minimum wage is a great uh example also of gov- of of the the thinking, the unavoidable thinking of centralized mechanisms of control, the uniformity of thought and action, right? Which is totally incompatible with the diversity of circumstance, situation, environment, and individuals spread out over a broad area, right? And so that's, that's, that's one of the funny things about today. I mean, this, the, you know, diversity, diversity is celebrated but equality is enforced which are you know counter to one another but the state almost necessarily in order to be perceived as treating everyone the same you know treating everyone fairly has to has to apply its rulings let's say with such a broad brush to a population of people that are incredibly diverse and the minimum wage one's great like It doesn't make sense for the what what is the market dictating is the the should the minimum wage be for a small, you know, pass through gas refueling town in Arizona, where there's 100 people and one gas station and one restaurant versus a green juicing bar in Manhattan. Right, like clearly the market is sending different signals for the value of labor in those two respective markets, right, based on supply and demand and everything else. But the state necessarily has to think uniformly and treat everyone as the same, right, and say, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what the the market dynamics are, this is how, you know, this is the uh, the right amount of money for for people to earn in order to live a quote unquote living wage. And as you said, Colin, like obviously if you impose such arbitrary restrictions on, on self-regulating market functions, all you're going to do is fuck shit up. All you're going to do is make it so those jobs go away. And so those people, not only are they not earning $7 an hour, they're completely unemployed now. And now they're on the hook for the social welfare system. And now they feed in, to, you know, they exacerbate the problem that was already existing in the first place. And that's the, the tricky thing about all this is so few people, and you know, this year has been, or last year and this year has been such a obvious example of this, but so few people have a lack of appreciation for history. Very, I mean, this book is a great example. None of this stuff is new. Like there's not really any new ideas floating around. The way governments get on is is relatively the same circumstances and environment, a bit different, a bit different technology is a bit different, but all the problems that we have now and all these issues have played out before and they never, ever end well. And we're making all the same mistakes again. And, you know, so that's one of the frustrating things about uh, we've been talking about how coming into Bitcoin and understanding all these disparate elements of it bestows a certain clarity on people. And I think someone mentioned this recently on a podcast, but, we were talking about like everything comes into the world with a curse you know Breedlove posed this question to us one time what you know what's bitcoin's curse and i was struggling to find like what that was and someone can't remember who said like that's it it's the feeling of isolation by th- seeing things more clearly now the fact that we have this bitcoin you know bitcoiners all over the world that we get to connect with really helps to counterbalance that and maybe totally negate it. But when we withdraw to our normal meat space lives, I know a lot of us feel like we're seeing a very different world than most of the people in our direct environment are seeing. And, you know, that can be a cause of frustration or or friction or isolation. Um, and so it was interesting for the, the, you know, the person to identify like maybe that's the curse of Bitcoin or the curse of clarity or truth in general, it's that you see the you see the lies and everything else, right? The truth is beautiful, and it's enlightening. But it casts the light of truth on everything. And it reveals the lies or the falsities or the delusions everywhere else. And that can be that's something that you've got to wrestle with to, to develop the proper, you know, approach to
2: my, my favorite book in the Bible is uh, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. And it's something I think everybody should read, even if you don't don't believe in God or don't like the idea of the Bible or the church or whatever, forget that. There's some incredible wisdom in the Bible. And Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. And Solomon said, you know, above all, search for wisdom, get wisdom, get understanding. Search for it like it's, you know, find find gems or precious gold or silver. And he said, you know, with with knowledge, with, with an increase in understanding comes great
0: sorrow. And with wisdom comes tremendous grief. Yeah. And you know, I used to tell myself something when I was younger that I, you know, I guess no surprise it's informed a lot of my development, but it must've been 20 years old or something like that. And I always, I I guess I realized that the dynamic that exists in in that capacity that you just characterized. And one of my, not mantras, but something that I reminded myself of frequently was I'd rather be tormented by the truth than coddled by ignorance right and uh same sort of thing that you just said and i you know i think that's probably not the case for a, a lot of people today um despite what they may you know say if you pose that question to them and so um yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think, think that's truth- one of the challenges of bitcoin yeah i think truth seekers have always sort of
1: borne that cross right you know if you look at the story of the of the buddha or you look at siddhartha you know these these people who went out to seek truth, objective truth, generally find themselves alone. Um, you know, even even the story of Christ. I mean, he had his apostles, but eventually, uh, you know, he was uh, he was essentially um, his own story, his own way. And, and and thank God, you know, thank God for the internet. Thank God for these kind of conversations. Thank God for the the community that we have, um, because you know. I think everybody at some point is that crazy Bitcoiner, um, whether it's within your family or within your work or within your friends or whatever it is, um, and we've all experienced that in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and it is, it is. I think part of why we fervently continue to to travel down that path to try to convince more people, it it, it uh, in a way that I would have never done with with. Uh, you know, in with such fervency in, in the past. Part of that is that I want to bring them on part of it, I want to, I want to help them save themselves and see what I see. Um, but it also helps alleviate that feeling of isolation, which we which we all as social animals, social creatures, as you know, relatively removed uh, apes, we search for that social connection. Um, you know, here we are having a three hour conversation on a Saturday morning via zoom. Um, and it's, it's, it's a uh, you know, part of that is, is the, the the evolutionary uh, arc that we are on. Um, but I but I feel but but generally speaking, I feel so much more comfortable in this world, even though it may feel somewhat isolating sometimes, uh, than I did trying to swallow a jagged pill. You know, the jagged pill that just felt like this underlying undercurrent of like this isn't right. There's something incorrect. There's something wrong about this um and you know I, I think i think bastiat puts it great when he says, you know he's talking about the state and and about justice um the purpose of the law is to prevent injustice from reigning. he says in this world in which the state provides everything intelligence becomes a useless prop for people they cease to be men they lose their personality their liberty and their property uh and i think you nailed that you you hit it right in the head john you said uh, you know, I'd rather search for truth and be uncomfortable and accept in ignorance, uh, the lie that is being fed to us. Um, and, and that's been my, I think that's, that's kind of where my most powerful uh, realization for all this is like, yeah, I'd much rather be uncomfortable in a world of truth than trying to swallow this thing that has always felt, even when I couldn't articulate it, has always felt, uh, wrong or, um, or Incomplete. just unnameable whatever okay. you know whatever that thing is it just is under it's like is
0: this really this can't be it
1: this can't be red. and, there's that, just and
0: that's so common there's yeah. got
2: to be more to this there that's has what to be. you always think right there's, something i'm missing I, there's an there. answer i don't know what it is i i <laughs> It's on the it's on the edge. It's on the precipice. Like it's on the ether, and I don't. I can't grasp it. I can't see
1: it. And you talk about you know you're talking about substance abuse. You talk about the depression epidemic that we have. Talk about the things that are really you know. Talk, you call it COVID, a pandemic. Let's talk about substance abuse. Let's talk about let's talk about fentanyl taking out entire you know communities in in, in the United States. Uh, that's because that's because everybody, whether they know it or not, is is is. Is wrestling with the same thing that we're talking about right now, which is that underlying feeling of like either lack of hope or uh, or or lack of truth or lack of understanding. It it all kind of undercurrent to this sense of like it's just right there. I I can't grab. I'm not sure what it is, and since I can't find it, you know what? I'll just put a needle in my arm because who you know what's the difference? Well for
2: some of those people, they're so scared of the truth that it actually drives them towards, you know, that fantasy. And that's why we build these bubbles for ourselves that that protect us from what's real. So because we don't want to face it, you know, probably more
1: so on a subconscious or like an implicit level than. Right. Whether we know it or not. I think that's, right. the, that's the point, right? Like it's like whether whether the guy who is, you know, putting a needle in his arm, uh, you know, whether he can articulate that, man, I. You know, if only I could seek truth, I wouldn't do that, you know, whether he's having that conversation with himself or it's just this sort of underlying sense of loss of, you know, loss of basic understanding of what, what is that, that sort of pit in your stomach, that, that feeling in your heart that just sort of doesn't feel quite right. Um, And it's something that, you know, if you'd asked me five years ago, 10 years ago, there's no way I could have articulated what it was, it just sort of was this sense of ennui. Uh, that everybody risks. you know, we, we're not special. We're not some special generation that's, that's
0: uh, wrestling with this. I mean, Bastia was wrestling 200 years ago. He's doing the same stuff. I uh, think that's, I think that's part of the tragedy is that, and I've mentioned this a little bit before, but you can have that, that desire to seek and see truth. Um, and you can find it within yourself, irrespective of your environment. Right. But, yeah then you then you test it against your perception of the world. You say, like, I, I feel like I've come to a individual truth. What application does that have, have outside of me? And then you test it against the outside world and the outside environment you're in, and you're like, man, that doesn't feel congruent at all. You know, and I think this is one of the the spiritual quandaries of the perversions that are inherent in the systems and the structures that we erect for ourselves and that are we that that in large part we are subject to is that they don't reflect properly the truths that we find within ourselves and as a result we feel we don't feel very congruent with them and that creates a lot of that friction a lot of that frustration a lot of that that, you know, despair that you're talking about that causes people to say like, I can't figure this out. I There's something in me that I feel is genuine and true and I'm not seeing its reflection or or how it fits in the outside world and that destroys people. And what I think is so, you know, amazing is that, and, and the, you have to do each individually, but like, I think what Bitcoin is going to foster is a, more genuine the world it creates will be a more genuine expression of who each of us truly are because the signal that we send to the world or to the market is not being as corrupted as it currently is right and so that means the world that we get is going to be a better reflection of of who we all are as individuals and the emergent how that looks as an emergent uh, system and then i think people will when they're on their own you know, journeys of self-reflection and understanding and stuff like that, there, there'll be far more congruence with the truths they find within themselves and what they see out in the broader world. Obviously, you know, maybe you'll never find like a perfect congruence or maybe that's just all a matter of perspective, but I think there'll be less uh, likelihood that, that people will Find so much space and friction between them and the world they're surrounded by, and I think that will lead to less frustration and less um, despair and less substance abuse and less all of those things that are that emerge from um, being frustrated by who you believe you are and some of the truths that you find internally and what the world is showing you, uh, and so like the the world is very much. Um, yeah it it's 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 showing people a delusion in in a certain sense that is causing them i guess confusion um about the the, the their own sanity and what they're actually seeing and then you know the, i'm i'm not saying there's not ways of transcending that i think Uh, there's always ways of transcending the reality of your environment and and anchoring in in individual truths but you know that's by no means an easy thing to do and i think uh the less we can have the delusion the less we can impose delusion on people in terms of what they perceive in their environment the easier the, the 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 journey of uh of trying to make those those two worlds congruent will be, and the less um, negative outcomes uh, we'll see from that. If that if that if that makes any sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think an easy example. You know, you're talking about finding a truth and then bringing it to the world to see what the world thinks of that truth. You know, for and and people, anybody who's been uh, who's tried a diet or, or or tried to take better care of themselves can see this of the the sort of uh, the, the barriers they come up against. And I used to do a big brothers, big sisters program up in, up in, uh, when I lived in San Francisco and, you know, I would see this with, uh, the mother of, of the, uh, of my little brother that I worked with, you know, she was always trying to lose weight and I would give her tips, be like, yeah, you should try, you know, try this, try, try, you know, eating a little less carb, try taking sugar out, whatever. And then she would come back and she would tell me stories of like, you know, I would show up to family dinner and people would be like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you? Why aren't you eating my pasta dish or why aren't you eating my dessert? Or Why aren't you eating my sugar? And it would it would just set up these barriers against her. And if she didn't have the fortitude to seek this better health for her or her new truth that she was trying to sort of. Uh, and, and it would just be the setback and setback and setback. And unless you have complete conviction in this thing that you want to do or you want to try, or you want to see in the world, it becomes really painful. And so uh, I think as, as Bitcoiners in a way we can, you know, we can sort of, you know, be the change that we want to see in the world. And the more of us that there are, the more examples we can set of, Hey, I used to do things this way. Now I'm basing my life in sats. Now I'm (laughs) and because of that, I'm basing my life around all these other first principles and truths and and look at, you know, and, and, and look how much healthier I am, how much happier I am how much more sort of curious I am these other better changes that have come out of my life um you know and I think that's what I try to say I mean people look at me, I you know I'm a I'm a I do OMAD and uh know, I've always been healthy I've always been fit uh, it's never been you know I'm not like nobody's gonna look at me like oh my god you've changed so much but when I tell people like hey yeah I eat and I fast for 22 hours a day they think I'm insane but the more I can kind of tell them stories about how that's made my life better and made it easier, you know, things that you wouldn't necessarily think like, it's one thing to lose some weight, but it's also to say, Hey, it's also given me all this time during the day. I've got better mental clarity. Uh, I'm performing better at work. I'm making better decisions. I'm making healthier decisions with my relationships because, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then people start to get more interested. And I'll tell you, so this is a personal story for me, I actually, um, I uh, suffered a snowboarding injury uh, five weeks ago, right? So I actually uh, fractured two vertebrae in my neck um, in the beginning of uh, February, um, and I, you know, I, and I talked to the doctor, and she said, you know, this is, you know, I I don't like to use the word miracle very often, but you're probably in the five percent case of not being a quadriplegic, right? You are probably five percent of the people that suffer this injury. Walk away from it, uh, and and I was like, that's you know that's remarkable, um, and you know it really was a miracle. But she also, I also, you know, through the time she said, you know, you're not gonna be able to eat for the next thirty hours until we do the surgery. I said, that's fine. I I generally fast about twenty two hours a day anyway, so it's not a big deal. And she's like, oh, you're fasting. That's really interesting. Uh, fasting. Uh, has shown to help people recover from and have a more protective spinal fluid around their spinal cord that maybe would save your life. And, it, it, you know, so, you know, I I don't want to say Bitcoin saved my life, but, you know, <laughs> I, I just, these little things that kind of keep coming up in my life of like this, these, these benefits that I'm getting from my adoption of, uh, I'm living more of a truth, like, you know, even with alcohol, like I, I was never a great, drinker I I I never really but it was part of the social world that I lived in it was part of the college experience I lived in it's part of being a marine aviator for better for worse uh you know you you you, it's part of that culture and now and I never felt comfortable with that and now I've decided like no I don't that doesn't need to be a part of my life because I'm better without it and uh, and I can live that truth because I have these other things that are sort of this compounding interest in my life uh, that has has really had a profound effect. And uh, and I hope it's starting to have a profound effect on those around me as well. And I think that as Bitcoin becomes uh, more adopted, that will be more and more the case uh, as we go forward.
0: Yeah, that, that's a great point. And, and just uh, the, the last piece about the congruent stuff is you guys were both saying like, ah, you felt this like angst, this thing, like I know I'm searching for something, I don't know what it is. And I think oppositely to the the people who don't find congruence, I think understanding what Bitcoin is, seeing the effects it's having on other people that you now interact with in the quote unquote community. I think for a lot of us, it's like, yes, like that is actually, that's congruent with who I am or, or some of the aspects of myself that I've discovered over the years. Like that's kind of what I've been waiting for. Like something with those qualities that facilitates those interactions or those changes like and I think that's why so many of us are excited by it, because it seems like it's a it's a, a like a forcing function or a tool to actually start changing the world into something far more congruent with our principles and our values and how we see ourselves and, and some of the deeper aspects of ourself. And, you know, the, the, it's, it's difficult to think of a greater gift than that. To actually, you know, to actually align with the world that you're in, to not feel like a stranger in a strange land, to not feel like an alien, but to feel like, oh, like the, to have to have the world kind of open up to you like that. And, and as you say, John, you know, to have to have whatever changes are you're inspired to have occur in your life to take place uh, and then to see the effect of those. whichever ones they may be rub off on other people that you interact with or other people in your immediate environment and see that you know foster the continuation of that trend and of the emergence of that far more congruent world around you is intoxicating it's a gift it's something to be grateful for it's you know it's nothing short of amazing really On that note, guys, I'm I'm gonna get going. I was just gonna say, have we exhausted it?
2: Yeah,
1: I, <laughs> I think we we,
0: I think we've exhausted it. That was awesome. <laughs> that was so much fun,
1: guys. That was just can't yeah. think of better than a Saturday morning. So,
0: um, Agreed. any last uh, any last words, boys, before we sign off? John, I'll start with you. Um, yeah, you know, link, uh, like, uh, subscribe, and hit that bell when you get a chance. Um, no,
1: I'm just kidding. I, I don't, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not pitching anything. I got nothing to hawk. So, uh, um, but yeah, I, I just you know, you guys, uh, you know, thank you for for letting me come in and tag along in this stuff. I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm I feel like I'm a, still a new person in this whole thing, even though you know, uh, yeah. Just thank you. You know, I, I've I've learned so much today. I'm going to continue to read. I'm going to continue to explore. Um, and uh, you know, it's been a really awesome conversation. And I hope we get to do it again soon. I don't have much
2: else to add. Thanks for having me, John. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation.
0: Yeah, guys, I really enjoyed this one. I appreciate both your time. Uh, great to connect with you, Colin, again, and, and John for the first time. I'm sure it won't be the last. Mm-hmm. So until then, be well, boys, and uh, have a good one. Take, Take care. care. See ya.